Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Recap, our brand new live podcast here from The Escapists, all about the greatest and latest in movies, TV, and the ongoing streaming wars. This is episode number two for August 30th, 2022. My name is Marty Sleva, and as always, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Calandra and Darren Mooney. Hello, fellows. Morning. You're also joined by my pesto cavardi pasta. That doesn't sound like a real word. Cavardi? That um, sounds like a Harry Potter spell. Get that Italian, out of here. It's an Italian word that I'm sure I said wrong. And that's, oh, it's good that you mentioned it, though, because other, yeah, otherwise it wouldn't have passed to us. Jesus, what is happening? <laughs> so for, 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 for people who didn't know, the, the five minutes before we went live, I was just assaulted <laughs> by puns from both of them. It was wild. I was like finishing up the run show, and I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> uh, but that is just what we uh, expect to see here. It's recap. And hello and welcome, everyone. This is, uh, like I mentioned, our brand new uh, live uh, entertainment slash television uh, uh, discussion show. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about House of the Dragon, episode two. Um I, th- I think we could assume that there will just be spoilers for episode two. We're not going to go anywhere past episode two, but yeah. sort of in order to talk about this episode, we, we need to dig into what actually happened in the episode. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about um, A24, the uh, distribution and, and production company, uh, just celebrating their 10th anniversary and uh, in the past 10 years have kind of become one of those studios where if you see a trailer and their logo appears, it's kind of like a... A, a mark of a certain tone or quality that at least for me uh, hits way more often than doesn't hit um, in a way that I looked and I've seen eight a 24 movies in this year. And altogether I've seen 72 a 24 movies in the last decade, which is just kind of absurd. Also some of them, some of them are pretty bad, but some of them are very good. So we're going to talk about them and, uh, uh, sort of our favorites there, and then we'll go over some other stuff we've been watching. We'll talk about some some. We'll get, grab some questions from you, from the viewers. Shows like this are are supported by your super chats and your donos. So get those in, and we'll chat about anything you want at the end of the show. Yeah, we're um, we're one hundred and forty dollars away from getting Jesse to the Greek. So let's get there. Let's finish that up. Do you do you know about this goal, uh, Darren? No, no. Are we remaking that like Jonah Hill, uh, Russell Brand movie with Jesse? Uh, only in uh, na- in name only. Uh, no, Jesse yeah. uh, was uh, was raised and homeschooled and never learned anything about Greek mythology. Like oh. not even the basics. Yeah, not even like sort of the stuff that you everyone just makes a passing mo- uh, mention and has become yeah, part of Zeus or whatever. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, in, in order to teach him. What better way than the hyper-violent trilogy of video games for the PlayStation 2 called God of War, which is all about Kratos, who <laughs> oh, goes to yeah. wage war awesome. against all of the Greek gods. I'm going to so, um, show it on stream for a second, because I think this will incentivize everybody to finish up that goal. But also, like, the artwork that El Cheshire made for the stream is fucking pretty dope. <laughs> Look it's, at very, it's very good. <laughs> um. Yeah, looks looks pretty incredible. I, and yeah, so the 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 get him to the Greek uh, reference is in pun only. It has nothing to do with actual. Um, although I don't, maybe Russell Brand will appear on an episode. Jonah Hill. Um, I feel like that's, that's doable. I mean, what is Jonah, Jonah Hill's not doing interviews what does Jonah anymore. Hill even right? do anymore. Is he, he doesn't yeah, do he interviews. Play, he doesn't do interviews, which is good for him. Like it, it's good that he's taking that break. So, but he has lots of free time. Is I think he can get him on stream with Jesse. Yeah, yeah he's he is in. Indeed. Don't look up. Don't look now. Don't look up. Don't look uh, up. The, the really that don't was the movie. Up, yeah. Okay, yeah. Don't look now yeah, was like the Donald Sutherland one. The really yeah, that's Nicholas Rogue. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's living. He's living the dream. Listen, he's he's pals with Scorsese and DiCaprio. I, I want to live his life. <laughs> his life seems great. 
Oscar nominee uh, Jonah Hill, which is Oscar quite nominee. a world to live in. Yeah, for like talented sister in, in <laughs> Pete Feldstein. So yeah. good, good for him. Was he an Oscar uh, nominee because of Don't Look Up? Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, Wolf, of Wall Wolf of Wall Street. And then was it? Did he also get a oh, second right. one for uh, Moneyball? Possibly. Now I'm, so I'm good at Moneyball. You I know shouldn't be doing this live. Yeah. What no movie's great. Moneyball. Moneyball's pretty good. Foxcatcher is also very good. Could this, yeah, could this podcast just turn to us naming a movie and being like, you know what's pretty good? This. That movie right there. <laughs> you, know, you know what was totally all right? Mid-90s. An A24 movie at that. As yes. The, there you go. A Jonah Hill A24, A24 movie to bring it all Holy back Holy shit. Together. It all yeah. comes together. If Jonah I, I, Hill was going to win an Oscar for anything, it should have been super bad. <laughs> Which also celebrates. Is it 10th anniversary this year? It's uh, some 15th? sort of anniversary. 15th, 15th to make yeah. us all feel old. Yeah. yeah. Mac loving it. Oh, my God. 15 that's so that's so many years that's too that's too terrifying i can't, I can't handle that um do you guys want to jump right into house of the dragon i do all, all right. right can we, can we before, uh, house- before we even get on like plot can we just talk about how fucking good the cinematography was in that episode oh i thought we were gonna talk My about God. The <laughs> uh i thought it was uh it was a genuinely beautiful episode yes. but i think one of the um i think it had one of the standout um sort of visual set pieces of any thrones anything uh in the sort of standoff on the bridge on dragonstone mm-hmm. um i thought that scene was was gorgeous and it did this it, it did what the show does really well and sort of has echoes of game of thrones while recontextualizing it and and, and giving us you know what this is through a lens of you know two centuries in the past um so yeah i thought that was i thought i thought it was it was really gorgeous but uh darren i guess just high level thoughts what did you what did you think of uh, episode two the rogue prince no, I, I like it. Again, we're very much in the kind of what feels like the scenery setting stage of this. Again, we still have yet to see the two nominal leads of the show, Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook. So it feels very much like we're getting, we're kind of watching the setup, which is nice. I like that the show is taking its time, getting where it's going, setting uh-huh. up all of the core character arcs and setting up all of the stuff that is presumably going to pay off down the, the line. And I'm actually, again, I'm really impressed at how confident it is, how assured it is. I mean, even things like the fact that this holds back on, say, letting you see Damon again until you're at, like, the 40-minute mark of an hour-long episode. It's insane. It is called The Rogue Prince. And I'm like, yeah, come back. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, the fact that it allows all of that to have happened off-screen. So he's mm-hmm. gone and he's taken control of the Dragonstone and he's stolen a dragon egg. And you still haven't seen him yet, which I quite yeah. like. I like that it's, it feels very much like a show that is comfortable enough kind of taking its time and unfolding and isn't necessarily kind of jumping or rushing into anything, while also obviously covering a lot of ground as well, because this is presumably, like, months or years after the events of the previous episode as uh, well. Six like, months, they say. Six, six months, yeah. they mentioned, yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, I, I really, really, really enjoyed this. And again, as you said, it looks beautiful. It has a lot of really good kind of atmospheric stuff. It's got a lot of that good storytelling stuff that I kind of like with Game of Thrones, which is like very heavy symbolism, just in case you don't get what this is going on. In particular, like the idea of the body of the people who are governing, reflecting the health of the state. You have that with obviously uh, Alison's hands, for example, where she's been chewing at them. And oh, yeah. She's so crepper. nervous. She's, yeah. Yeah. And you have things like the body where Viserys' body is kind of rotting. And that perhaps metaphorically reflects the idea that he is the state and that the yeah. state itself is also slowly decaying and rotting. And to set up or to throw a ball into the air for Marty to hit out of the park, that opening image you have with the crab feeder, where you have this idea of like the the corpses and then the, the detritus kind of like picking at them, these kind of yeah. animals just scavenging among the decaying kind of decrepit ruins, which again, all very, very good at 
communicating this is what the show is without necessarily having somebody explicitly say, oh, by the way, just in case you're not clear, the, Tar- the Targaryen dynasty is rotting from the inside. Although you do get a little bit of that during the scene with um, with Corlys. But I mean, I like that it's yeah. a, a show that kind of leans into visually communicating this to you, which is nice. Absolutely. There's uh, there's like 10 things there. I want to I want to uh, pick <laughs> apart. But uh, yeah, I, I love uh the the way they've changed how the Iron Throne itself looks, it looks more like uh, Martin's description in the books, which yeah. was this sort of like uh, uh, terrifying, like obelisk, like like it was dangerous to climb it and sit in it um, as opposed to just sort of like a regular throne in Game of Thrones, um, because it seems like the, the throne itself like can can rebuke people. And it seems like the throne itself is almost like sick and tired of of Viserys. And maybe it's because it wants war. Like it's sick of being a throne in a time of peace. Like it, it's it's craving, uh, you know, it's craving bloodshed. And so, yeah, not only does it, you know, poke him in the back, but he's also got his his finger injury, which we saw him get pricked, uh, yeah. you know, in the first season. Which that injury, I'm assuming it's not grayscale, but it looks that finger injury looked a lot like grayscale from like that Jorah had in Game yeah. of Thrones proper. And I don't think that's the case. But I was a big fan of him having to stick his finger in a bunch of maggots. So. I was mean. Yeah, the idea of rotten decay. And I mean, like, again, if you're talking symbolism stuff, you have stuff like the idea that grayscale is obviously like tied to this area. Like the fact that Jorah gets and he's traveling through the Valerian ruins, the fact it's tied to dragons and dragons are metaphorically tied to atomic power. And the idea that Viserys is like, we never should have tempered with this massive power. I mean, dragons, that's what they are, dragons. We are become death destroyer of of the old Valerian freehold. Yeah, he keeps his empty husk of, of Fat Man and Little Boy down in the basement and just yeah. like every once in a while just hangs out and, and sort of has a little parlay That's with right. his daughter in front of it. Yeah. The little candles are a nice touch, to be fair. It kind of sets the mood. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, the six month time jump to me, uh, uh, I think very clearly signified a few things. And one, it's that this story is going to be told in a in a much different sense than Game of Thrones proper. Whereas, uh, you know, the Game of Thrones series was constantly, uh, you know, ping ponging across the the globe and you were like, oh, which continent are we on? And oh, how long is it going to take for these characters to to cross paths uh, with this? It's a relatively smaller cast. Like we were introduced to seemingly all the important most of the important players in, in the first two episodes. Um, but uh, the, the way it's shifting perspective is through time. And obviously, yeah. like you said, with the two lead actresses who are going to be you know, recast because of some much more substantial time jump where they go from whatever they're supposed to be 15, I think, to adulthood. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious. That, that's going to be this season because they've showed in, in trailers. trailers and whatnot, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious at what point we're going to we're going to have that time jump, if that's going to be like a midseason thing. It's also kind of a bummer because I've like I've grown to like really like those two actors. Like I think uh, Millie Alcock especially is like like I've never seen her in anything. I'm not sure how much she's been in, but like I think she has like a really commanding presence as as Renera on and you know anytime she's on screen. Yeah, I like that. Um, you, we we kind of said at the start like the show is taking its time, even though it is making those big jumps and they're not leaving plot threads because you know I. I was worried that with like the time jumps, because I feel like a lot of shows do it and things just kind of are forgotten about or you move on to the next plot thread. Uh, but with specifically uh, Renera and her father, the uh, him not talking to her really at all since like 
you know, Mickey. The mom died pretty much. Hair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hair. Um, I, I, that's an interesting, like, I like that they're really exploring that family dynamic between them. Uh, because I feel like Game of Thrones in the later seasons kind of got away from that because it had to expand so much. And that's where like Game of Thrones for me gets really good is like when you have all these family threads and you care about like, you know, what happens to the family as a whole. Uh, and so like, you know, House of the Dragons, I think like is really doing that. And then later on in the episode, um, you get that really good um, talk from her or uh, her cousin, uh, the, the queen who never was. And she basically oh, yeah. Renee's. Yeah, they're yeah. all they're too similar. <laughs> they are, they're like literally one letter difference yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get that you get that whole thing about like, you know, just yeah, you may be the heir now, but they're not gonna let you ever sit on the throne. And I think that like sets up a super interesting plot. Um you know, big cliffhanger of like, yeah, you're gonna go to war, like you're never gonna sit on that throne. They're never gonna let it happen. You know they never let it happen. And so I liked like this tension that's just kind of hanging over the entire show, even though you still know what's coming. Yeah. Rainier even has like a specific line saying like, oh, my father didn't choose me. He he ultimately spited his brother. Like I wasn't chosen because of me. I was chosen yeah. just to spite uh, because I'm not Damon. Damon. Because I'm not Damon. Exactly. And this is <laughs> yeah. what would hurt. Um, yeah. And I did. I, I love that scene with uh, Rainey's who, again, we were talking last week about mm-hmm. how a lot of these characters feel sort of like they have shades of, of a few different Thrones characters. And she feels like like a little bit of Cersei and a little bit of Lady Elena. Like you understand where she's coming from and her and her spite and her complete like lack of faith that anything will change that the wheel will ever be broken. You know, the wheel that Danny was so intent on, uh, breaking throughout game of Thrones. Um, but at the same time, you're like, well, shit, you should probably be like a, I don't know, be a better aunt. (laughs) (laughs) This this is partially on you. But I mean, that, that is one of the kind of tensions I have with the show. And it's kind of something that'll be interesting to watch as it goes forward, which is like one of the things I quite liked about game of Thrones was the idea that the iron throne is, as you said, cursed, like actually, Mm -hmm angry and bitter and destroys everybody who sits on it and like with game of thrones you had kind of the widening scopes you had things like you know aria's trip to bravos and all this sort of stuff you had like her adventures with the hound where they go and they meet the farmer and so you get a sense of like the small scale and how this affects other people my one of the questions i have about house of the dragon and it's only two episodes in it's very early to be asking this but it's the moment where rhaenyra is like oh but don't worry i'm gonna do what you never could i'm gonna sit on the iron throne and part of me is like but like are you actually going to change anything or are you just going to pursue your own power as an yeah. end unto itself? Like, are you going to make the world better? Are you going to create a world where, you know, Renez wasn't passed over? Or are you just primarily focused on the idea that, no, I get to sit in the chair because yeah. I'm awesome. well, she, And ultimately she's, you she's just want to spite uh, your father? Yeah, yeah she's, that's she's it. also like Game of Thrones loves like having the youthful optimism. <laughs> and then you're an adult. Yeah. It's like, yeah, get fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, one thing I think is interesting that I've noticed with this show is, I guess, one thing lacking, which um, I'd be curious to hear if you guys have any like sort of either nitpicks or like flaws you're pointing out with this is Thrones had really good point of view characters of sort of the commoner and the the everyman and the people who actually like spoke for the realm, you know, whether it was uh, uh, Varys or even uh, Tyrion at certain times it felt like they had their like fingers on the pulse of like what was happening outside these chambers um and i don't feel like we're getting that in any characters so far i feel like they even make reference to like 
when the, I, I think it was after uh, Damon and the Gold Cloaks went on their sort of rampage and was like, ah, you're all rapists. We're cutting your penises off. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this works. Um, they, they make a mention. He says something like, oh, none of you have left the confines of the Red Keep. So you don't know what the actual city's like. And I'm like, maybe you could show us like maybe we can have some characters <laughs> who are like common folk and, and you know, telling us what the city's like. Yeah, I was I was noticing that like right at the start of the episode where. um uh, I'm always gonna butcher the names. Renary's and uh, what's what's her uh, high tower? What's her his daughter's name? Allison. 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 Yeah. So they're down in the uh, the keep doing their praying and all that. And like, I think one of the things that the show isn't doing super well right now is like showing like the liveliness of the writ like era of uh, King's Landing in mm-hmm. a way. Like, I don't feel like it's all centered on the politics of it right now and not the like the larger world of it, which is I think intentional because like you kind of said that there's it's a smaller scale story so far um but i would like to i would like to see more of like what are you ruling right now like what what does yeah. a prosperous you know westeros look like right now yeah yeah and 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 seeing that decay within not just the politics of and and the the royal royalty but also like the people and like you know the the unrest and everything that's kind of building that you know is coming yeah. I mean, I think there, there are kind of two two things that kind of get me about that are kind of I, I kind of go off on a tangent and I kind of have two minds about. First one is that I think this was obviously shot during COVID. So this was shot like last year. So obviously yeah. the amount of extras we can have on screen are minimal at best, which is probably why. And again, I think somebody noted that we, we need something to describe that aesthetic. And it's, it's in everything. It's in Marvel movies even as well. Oh, yeah. But it's where you're looking. You're looking at spaces and there are far fewer people in them than there yeah. should be, even though this is, you know, they're not set during a pandemic. Nobody's wearing a mask. But it's like you're watching it. It's like this is kind of eerie and haunted. It feels kind of wrong yeah. that you built this huge space and not filled it full of people. And the other the other side of my brain, the other half of my brain, the bit that's not as kind of forgiving is like, has the show looked at Game of Thrones and realized that like one of the problems with Game of Thrones was that it grew too large and it was too difficult to tie it all back together and has mm-hmm. so just done the mental math and figured that, well, look, if we don't expand outwards, then we don't have to worry about bringing everything back in at the climax. If we keep things narrowly and tightly focused, like that's a that's a you know, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's just a way to maintain control of this story and prevent it from getting away from us like maybe Game of Thrones did. Yeah, I think that's I think both those points are really good. And I also I do the same thing now where I can't watch anything without in my mind being like, oh, they made these choices because of COVID. Um, I even even movies that are almost like self-contained, like you yeah. you saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies last week. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I was like, oh, this movie came about because they were like, what can we film with only seven characters, you know, yeah. at a single location and make sure that, you know, we're 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 not worried about, you know, needing a, a cast of hundreds and backgrounds yeah. and everything. And yeah, of killing Patrick Stewart, which was a major concern on Star Trek Picard. But they had to shut down production, I think, three times. And, and Patrick Stewart, if you watch the second season of Picard, Patrick Stewart is always in a room with only two other actors <laughs> at a time. His makeup like has like lines like around where yeah, like a mask. Yeah. 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 Um, could you imagine how bad that would be if you were like, well, we finished the season, but also killed Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> That's not great. Uh, and like, yeah. what if like I, like, you know, nothing would be worth it, so to speak. But Picard season two would definitely not be worth it, I think. Yeah, it's no it's no Star Trek nemesis. I mean, few things are really. <laughs> For one way or another, few things are. <laughs> um, 
Um, you also mentioned uh, you mentioned the crab feeder earlier, which let me say I I uh, I I emptied my savings account, my checking account, my four hundred one k last week, and I went all in on crab feeder based on name alone. And let me tell you, this investment was a wise decision because I am fucking <laughs> excited for this dude. He's it seems like he waits till low tide and then crucifies people to like driftwood and then waits for the crabs to eat them and then maybe they drown when the tide comes back in, which seems great. And then they show him, he just looks like Leatherface. I'm like, this is great. This is my favorite character in Game of Thrones history. Jeez. And like there's salt water <laughs> and it stings. Than the Night yeah. King already. <laughs> oh, he's way better than the Night King. He's way cooler than the Night King. And he's like, what is he? I don't think he wants anything. Like it doesn't seem like he has any motivations. He just wants the, the crabs to be fed, which A plus. I'm very excited for this man. And I like hope the Night King, he's an environmentalist. Up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's the Lorax. He speaks he's, for the he's, he's keeping his population happy. He's actually feeding them. Yeah. yeah, I, th- <laughs> yeah, I like the idea he's the king of the crabs. Is the crab feeder a better king than Viserys? Question mark. This, this is, I mean, let's this is let's just say that a little. If he was sitting on the throne, he wouldn't be getting like Septus or whatever he was getting from like these little cuts. He'd be fine. I don't. It doesn't look like the crab feeder has a strong immune system, but that's just my hot take on it. I think it's just uh, he just needs to apply a little bit of sunblock. I think he's getting like too many UV UV rays. Um, and, and a little bit of ointment. This is a, yeah, yeah. This is what it's happens a, a, when Mister Krabs lost the crusty crab. <laughs> this is exactly this. this is the this is the dark, uh, dark uh, SpongeBob spinoff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I do like. Uh, it seems not um, supernatural, but it, it seems like one of those things where you have a character like the mountain in uh, Game of Thrones, where it's like someone who's like, I guess supernatural, almost like monstrous in a way that aside from dragons, that's we haven't really seen anything on the show that which it's weird to say aside from dragons, because dragons. That, are- that one thing, one episode into the show, that is the title of the show. <laughs> um, hey, which we've only seen two of so far. And they said there's 10 dragon riders. I also want to know who the rest of the dragon riders are. Okay, they could be like. They also say twenty-five. I think twenty-five is what I've heard at the peak. That's that's when we hit season three when we get renewed for season three. Yeah, that's all all dragons all the time. What? Oops, all dragons. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also like that they mentioned that there's a uh, the 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 biggest dragon is just one AWOL. and (laughs) I I think what he was taking. Oh, which is also if we want to talk about uh, uncomfortable things, don't marry your twelve-year-old daughter off to an old man. Don't do that. (laughs) Like, clearly you, just marry your daughter's 15 year old best friend yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. guys but they both got into miniatures it's fine <laughs> I, I, I was sitting there watching that scene and I was like this is so awkward and I'm glad he fucking said he's like you know did, you, did your father tell you to say that yeah yeah what'd your mom yeah. say cut <laughs> yeah, well yeah there was that we could like wait until yeah. i was 14 i was like oh god <laughs> what is this fucking place this place is terrible Even- and viserys suddenly feels a lot better about what he's planning with allison at that moment he's like oh, <laughs> yeah, that's like more. that and a year yeah exactly oh she she's absolutely seems like an adult um yeah. so uh yeah that uh that well because it, it does seem like they're trying to like viserys isn't Especially in the grand scheme of kings we've seen in Game of Thrones, from from Robert to to Joffrey, uh, uh, Viserys isn't the worst. I I think he's legitimately trying to do his best, <laughs> like, I, I, and I, like he's trying to avoid war and conflict at like every possible option that he has, and like he, I feel like he he mostly he's naive and tries to look. He seems like he's trying to look for the best in people. 
like you know you can it's starting to crack on him that like people are trying to take advantage of him you know on his court and he's kind yeah of, you know especially after his wife died but yeah like i don't you know he's definitely like you know i'm the king but he's also not like a complete shithead aside from you know, <laughs> marrying a 15 year old girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just like passive, like, you know, medieval level awful, yeah. as opposed yeah. to like actively kind of like pile of crap on top of that awful. Yeah, and like, yeah. I think like my, I like Viserys. I find Viserys is a very interesting character in large part because like one of the things with Game of Thrones is the question of like what a good king looks like. Mm -hmm. And as you said, like all of the examples in Game of Thrones are various degrees of awful. Like yeah. Joffrey is psychopathic. Uh, Robert yeah. doesn't want to be king and doesn't actually pay any attention to it. Mm -hmm. uh, Tomlin is easily like manipulated. Manipulated, and, yeah. Yeah, and, about, and obviously like Daenerys. About <laughs> Well, Rob Stark is like Jon Snow, just bad at it because he doesn't have any natural aptitude or interest. Listen, like, there's that's... only one true king, and he was uh, Bran the Broken, and he had the best story of them all. So, he did have the best go. story. I mean, clearly he did. Um, but like the thing I like about Viserys is that like he's he's not really a king. He's not really doing any deciding. He's not really making any choices. Like mm -hmm. the argument is that like why Viserys is a better king than Robert or Joffrey or Rob or whoever is largely because he's inherited a kingdom that is in a state of and he's mm -hmm. not doing anything to upset the apple cart. He's not yeah. involving himself in needless wars in the step zones, like forever wars that well, will rage forever. The... He's not like splitting the family into civil war. Mm -hmm. He is doing like the one thing that he's not doing, which may be a problem down the line, is arguably the one thing a king needs to do, which is to produce a clear heir with a strong line of succession that won't descend the kingdom into civil war when you die. That's probably the one thing a king needs to do that he's not doing. But yeah. other than that, like I like that the show is like Viserys, not a great leader. But by that logic, a pretty good king. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is funny. Well, and I, yeah. I, you, well, you kind of said it too. Like he, he doesn't like making decisions. Like how many pe different people does he go to ask about like one simple thing? Like who should I marry? And he goes and asks like his entire court <laughs> instead of just making the choice for himself. It's uh, yeah, it's funny because there's uh, uh, one of the standout in my uh, in my Game of Thrones rewatch recently. Uh, I think. Pound for pound, show MVP is Tywin Lannister. I think he's yeah. probably my favorite character on the show. Um, yeah, uh, like everything Charles Dance does is is fucking perfect. <laughs> Dies on he's, introduced, like, he's, introduced, <laughs> he's introduced like scalping a fucking stag. Like again, yeah, one of those great symbolism like moments. Yeah. In case you don't get what this character's purpose is on the show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Still, uh, and he has he has a scene he when dies on the crapper. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, he but, dies as all of us. We'd all be lucky to die that way. If it's good enough for Elvis, it's good enough for Tywin. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want Baz Luhrmann's Tywin Lannister movie. Um, but uh, uh, it's. I think the episode after Joffrey dies, after the Purple Wedding, uh, when when Tommen is uh, becomes king, uh, he sits down with him and he asks Tommen like, "What makes a good king?" And Tommen goes through like, oh, they should be strong. He said, oh, yeah, this was a king who was strong, but this was their downfall. And he's like, oh, they should love their people. He said, oh, this was a king who loved their people. And this was their downfall. And ultimately what he lands on is a king should, uh, which is him, you know, playing Tommen like a like a marionette saying a king should listen to those around him. Like a king should like <laughs> develop his small council and everything and listen to what they're saying. And it seems like uh, Viserys is doing that too much. It seems like they all get in their little meeting rooms. They all put their little orbs down, which can we take a beat and talk about what the fuck these orbs are? They're, they're awesome is what they are. Core. They're just meeting orbs. Yeah. <laughs> can we can we get meeting orbs? <laughs> Patreon goal. 
Um, <laughs> is, is meeting orbs. Nick, you need to send us meeting orbs for as like uh, as holiday presents. Meeting oh, orbs. Oh yeah, like right. with, with you, the logo on them. I'll send you crushed yeah. up Mountain Dew cans. <laughs> That's not a meeting orb. That's just I'll, crushed up aluminum. It's close enough. It's the half orb. Yeah, but like seriously, do we know what? It is? Like the cameras lingered on it a few times. Somebody, it's somebody's cool gonna get killed with one of them. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> Chekhov's orb. <laughs> it's Chekhov's orb. I would love for someone to get bludgeoned to death, like Daniel Plainview at the end of There Will Be Blood, beating someone to death with a bowling pin. Viserys uh, kind of like wandering around the table, picking up all the orbs, putting them in a burlap sack, duck. and then at yeah, the end, duck. kind of like duck, <laughs> dead, <laughs> getting to Otto Hightower and just going bam, sock full of orbs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chat's also saying it's like Materia and Final Fantasy VII, which I like a lot. That's also maybe maybe it's just magic. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it seems like Viserys is he he relies on the small council too much because he knows. Well, if I make a decision, someone's going to get mad at me. And then at the end of this episode, he makes a decision and for Allison Hightower <laughs> and both his daughter and and uh, the uh, Valeria. Valerian? Valerian. Not to be confused with Valeria. Well, it's because they're from Valeria. But they're pronounced <laughs> they're, differently, right? They're spelled slightly differently, but they have the same. Again, this is oh, Martin really doing cool. his whole, yeah. This is Martin doing his whole, there are several Simons kind of yeah, approach to fantasy writing. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so in making that decision, which is ostensibly following his heart, which I don't know, is that, I, I guess if your heart's leading you to a 15-year-old, maybe you shouldn't follow your heart. Maybe <laughs> go to someone slightly older um but in doing so maybe just be a cool widower for a while just kind of yeah. mellow yeah hey, but everyone else think, around him was like listen it's been six months doing, you over the- i think yeah. he's just doing whatever he can to stop conflict because like you <laughs> like he's in a high tower like i think i think he's more excited to marry her than he's putting off but because <laughs> he likes their conversations oh, yeah. but. well he just wants a he just wants a pal for making his miniatures she fixed she fixed his broken dragon that wasn't a Again, yeah, yeah. she fixed his broken dragon she, she literally fixed the, the broken rock. dragon yeah, yeah she fixed the rock um but yeah it is it, it keeps going back to that line which was said in game of thrones and i think in the pilot here was the seeds of war are often planted in times of peace mm-hmm. and it seems like everyone here is a peacetime ruler like he was a peacetime king uh when when they uh uh are, are selecting who the new member of the Kingsguard is going to be. She sort of says none of these men have ever seen combat like this yeah. one fought in a tournament. This one killed one poacher. And then like the, the only there's the one guy who's what Kristen Cole is the one guy who's yeah. seen combat down in Dorne. But like the thing is, and, and also very pointedly, you had like last week at the tourney, the moment where like Eve Best Reneers was kind of talking to, to her partners at Corliss. And yeah. she was saying like they were, they were looking at like these these 20 year old men who were young, dumb and full of whatever, knocking yeah. several kinds of crap out of each other. Yeah. And she's like, well, what do you expect? There hasn't been a war in like yeah. 70 years. So, of mm-hmm. course, all this stuff is kind of pent up and needs to get out, which is kind of like one of the things I find. Again, it's kind of interesting where it's like, could anything Viserys does like prevent this war from happening at this point because it really just seems like there's this kind of venom that's built up and there's just this need to release it there's yeah. this need to kind of let it out uh, and if it wasn't going to be this particular succession crisis it was going to be something else anyway again that idea of like whether an office area is, is like impotent literally and figuratively and again yeah, notably yeah. like uh, Damon was introduced being literally impotent as well oh yeah, yeah. like whether or not these these characters make choices or whether or not like history moves through them and the question of like yeah so like there hasn't been a war, so is there inevitably going to be a war no matter what choice anybody makes? Is there just something that's been ticking and boiling over where, like, this system is so 
allergic to the idea of stagnancy or so like so resistant to stasis that if it stays in the same place for too long it will just eventually explode and kill everybody yeah that, that yeah. which is kind of an interesting based angle your, i think the show's thing based on your written review darren i feel like it's a pretty good pretty good uh look at how the world actually works too i mean like oh it's very the kind uh, of thing we're going through right now is like how much peace does the world have and it's all being upset right now so <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it, not to get too pointed, this is a, a an episode which obviously was produced last year, to be clear, but in which a blonde narcissist stole a weapon of mass destruction and took it to his holiday home, when which the yeah. state had to like go and get it back. It's kind of interesting how that stuff accidentally works its way into this stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay. So speaking of the, the holiday home, we could we could talk about Dragonstone, which. Um, yeah. You know, we we mentioned at the beginning was uh, that's one of my favorite scenes so far, both in terms of uh, visually how it looked and um, sort of pushing certain characters forward, uh, especially Rainey's uh, uh, Rhaenyra. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm never going to be able to do this. I, I, <laughs> um, yeah, but I loved that. Um, well, you know, when they said Damon stole the dragon egg, like even at that point, Saris was like, you know what? The boys will be boys. My brother does these kind of things. Sometimes <laughs> he just steals dragon eggs. But when she asks in Valerian, like, which egg was it? And the guy says, oh, it was the egg that we put in the crib of your dead brother. <laughs> That's when I was like, all right, shit. You took it one step too far. Didn't, didn't need to do that, Damon. Uh, which I, I, I like. I, I like Matt Smith's uh, chutzpah. That, that, that takes some real brass ones there. I, I'm surprised that like Hightower didn't intercept the message and just write air for a day on the back of it just to properly provoke a response from Viserys. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the other, I think I, I noticed it too, was like, I was just waiting for the guy that brought the news to them just to get his head chopped off right there. Cause like in the original <laughs> game of Thrones, he would have been just thrown out the window. Yeah. But yeah. here it's like, okay, well, you know, you tried. <laughs> But, uh, they do bring they do bring those. I like that they bring the dragon keepers with them yeah. when they go to retrieve the yeah. eggs. There's like, yeah, they're, 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 they're like little hot pots. They're little crock pots. So like, let's put the yeah. egg back in here. Yeah, yeah it's like if, we, if we're going to get burnt alive, you You're guys are too, because this happened on your watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene uh, that that scene was great. It had, you know, it had a lot of mirrors of like that was um that that long ass pathway which man they gotta like get an <laughs> elevator or a gondola or something there like that's the same that's the same path when uh i think at the beginning of season Dene seven yeah when, when Daenerys arrives isn't it yeah yeah she takes that and then when john and Tyrion finally get there yeah. they're walking and that's the first time a dragon comes overhead and that's the first time john and i think davos experience a dragon and so they're like holy shit what is this <laughs> and you get that same moment of like when the dragon flies overhead of like Kristen Cole being like oh shit like this is like a little too much like this is not what I signed up for uh, which, which I really very, like very boring medieval question but the fact that like that ramp is after the, the kind of bollyards so to protect the, the invasion from sea you have like obviously the battlements at the edge and the cliff face but yeah. it just seems like that's a really insecure supply line from the castle down to the battlements yeah it seems like yeah. if you were ever actually under siege that would be a, a very tactically insecure position well we have we, we, as long as only be three of us side by side there, so. it's fine yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like this, this whole battle that's going to take place on this very narrow bridge. Yeah. It just takes one push. Yeah, it's like pass it from Opelai, three hundred. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then I loved, uh, you know, when when it seems like, uh, you know, the, the high towers men and then uh, Damon's men are going to finally, you know, come to arms. You get that moment where they look, they hear a noise, and they look and sort of rising from the tide of the fog. 
is uh, Rainier and her dragon, which, um, again, just a really fucking cool moment in my mind. Like, loved that and then loved her sort of taking complete control of that situation. Um, calling Damon's bluff, like knowing I think she ultimately knows, like, despite all of this, at this point, Damon loves his family. Like, I think J- Damon generally loves his brother. And I still, you know, stand by the fact that he didn't say he didn't call him the king for a day but was so hurt at uh, Viserys even thinking that he did. And because of his, you know, ego and, and sort of Lannister-esque pompous attitude, refused to say, I didn't do that, was sort of just like, it was almost like, you know, again, drawing parallels to Jamie, Jamie saying like, well, they call me the Kingslayer. And at a certain point, I'm like, well, I just have to fucking own it. Like, would I like, I'm sick of telling you, no, I, you know, this is what actually happened. So I might as well just be the bad guy that you've imagined me to be. I mean, I, well, I, I do feel, think I feel that, like, yeah, I feel like Damon's just biding his time because he knows, you know, his his brother's going to lose power eventually because he can't decide anything for himself. It's I don't know. I do think, away. I think Viserys has that. Sorry, I think Damon has that thing where he wants his brother to respect him, but he also un- thinks that his brother will only respect him through force, which is again yeah. a wonderfully toxic combination. Where it's like, I just want you to love me, so I'm going to publicly humiliate you and show you that I am completely remorseless and have absolutely no weakness in me, uh, which ironically makes me just appear even weaker. But I do think that, yeah, I think he, uh, the vibe I get from Damon at the moment is that he wants his brother to just say. Look, well done, Damon. You are somebody who I take seriously. Because that's the thing. It's it's in the first episode. It's him eavesdropping on Hightower and his brother talking about him. And they're like, like, Hightower is like, obviously, he's a major political opponent and liability and like interrupts the path of my lineage to the throne. Whereas Viserys is like, no, he's just a fucking idiot. And it's yeah. like, you, you can kind of tell that Damon's like, I'm not a fucking idiot. I'll show him. I'll yeah. steal his dead son's egg. Then we'll see who's a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, I didn't really think this one through, did I? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it, yeah. it goes with- <laughs> it goes right to that where it's like, oh, by the way, we're supposed to get married. I, I also can't get pregnant. And it's like, you really didn't think this one through, Damon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you already told them, oh, yeah, we're married and she's pregnant. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, we're going to have a big, yeah. we're gonna have a big boy and they, he's going to be king. That's what Hightower said. is like <laughs> Damon's impulsive and violent. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, and it also, it shows like the uh, uh, the correlation between him, which we get in the last scene with him and uh, 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 Steve Toussaint's character, this, the Sea Snake. Corliss, is this um, yeah. Corliss, yeah. He's got a lot of names. I'm going to call him Sea Snake because I think that's a cool name. <laughs> um, the, both of them are, uh, they, they talk about how they're second sons, which uh, in in this society means you're ostensibly nothing. Like you have to, you have to pave your own way. You have to gain your own respect because the first sons are the ones who are, you know, bestowed everything from from your lineage and so both of them had to sort of pave their way in this society with um uh corliss you know becoming i think their family is supposed to be almost like the lannisters in game of thrones like the richest and most powerful family that aren't actually kings um and so seeing the two of them sort of strike this uh, accord in that final fireplace scene which i also love where daemon talk shit on his brother. And then when Corliss goes to say something, Damon's like, I'm allowed to do it. You're not, which I thought was great. Like an amazing moment. Um, and th- I'm just very excited that it seems like they're going to go fight the, the crab feeder. Who, <laughs> <laughs> so show, MV- show MVP after two episodes. If you only like that, that's it. That's who Marty's kind of rooting to win the dance of dragons. It's like, I'm I hope that's who sits on the throne. 
Yeah. yeah, the the crab feeder, and then he that just crab gives feeder's up. name was Robert Baratheon. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> no, he just he just gives up. The final scene is him like realizing that there's no crabs in like King's Landing, and he just doesn't feel fulfilled. Well, I don't want to so be just there. Back. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you guys have any uh, any any final thoughts on the episode? Any any sort of lingering uh, um, lingering observations? Things you liked, things you didn't like. I'm just um, hopes for the future. Watching it on my LG C1 with 4K HDR and Dolby Vision, and it is, oh man, <laughs> it's a beautiful show. It, it is a legitimately beautiful, beautiful show. I just yeah, I'm, I'm just excited that like Game of Thrones is good again, and like I. I you know, a lot of people like will come in the comments like, oh, you know, I remember season eight. It's like, yeah, but like we've kind of been saying like this is a finished story. <laughs> the book is done. It'd be really hard to fuck this. This is also out. different people. Yeah, yeah. But and, I mean, it's just and you a know, different they, technique different as well yeah. and a different approach. Yeah. At, yeah behind the scenes and yeah. from the scenes, but I'm also a different approach. To, yeah. yeah, I'm not yeah. worried about it, like not ending strong or being bad because they have, you know, a full thing of source material to go from and not try to make it up at the last minute. I, I mean, they do like, also have like entire like it's just lines of dialogue from like Fire and Blood that they're turning into entire episodes, which is kind yeah. of insane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm I'm curious, like, I imagine this isn't going to be this isn't going to run as long as Game of Thrones, not because it's not okay, going to be successful, which it has been majorly successful. It's uh, they said the second episode had even more viewers than the first episode, which the first yeah. episode was breaking records. And so uh, yeah. I think they're extremely happy. I think they said it's like it surpassed euphoria, well, which um, well, they've, they've renewed it. They've renewed it for a second season based on the first episode. Yeah. Like before it before it aired, like if you read like the Hollywood Reporter piece, it was all very like, oh, now we can't be. It was very Netflix where it's like, look, we're sure it will do very well, but we can't be drawn on whether or not there will be a second season. And then as yeah. soon as it aired, it was like, so second season. <laughs> That's what yeah, we're yeah. ordering right now. No, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Oh, they, they, always, um, they always do that, though. They're like, eh, you know. We don't know if there'll be a second season to incentivize people to come watch. And hey, Netflix yeah. doesn't do that. <laughs> Netflix is like, oh, all right, one season. Bye, guys. Yeah. Like, we don't did know you, if there'll be you, a second season, and really, we won't know five years from now. Um, do you really want a yeah. second season of Resident Evil? No, I didn't want a second season of Resident Evil. <laughs> I did want a second season of Cowboy Bebop, but also why would anyone have any faith in any show Netflix puts up? Yeah. Netflix is doing this One Piece adaptation, which is like a, a renowned well, I don't know. Uh, anime I have, manga, I have, I have and why would anyone give a shit? It's I have not faith in more, more their like, original. I don't have faith in their adaptions. I don't have but, faith in anything but, Netflix is doing. Like, if I'm gonna be honest, but like the Sandman is like the biggest show in the world for like two and a half months until like House of the Dragon comes out. Yeah. It's top like in numerous countries around the world continuously, and Neil Gaiman's still like, yeah. So if you really like it, could you just leave it on and let it like run from beginning <laughs> to end? Yeah. Because that will game the Netflix matrix, kind of like metrics, and it's like no. <laughs> How is this like viable? How is this something that anybody thought would be workable? If you need that level of like people watching it to greenlight a second season, don't greenlight the first season. I don't know. It's I feel awesome. I feel like Resident Evil is like one of the before Netflix has made all these changes over the past like six months. I feel like Resident Evil is like one of those last shows where you know because Netflix is kind of going for I think quality over quantity now, and like they, I think they still have some like you know last hooks shows to get out there like resident evil i mean hey uh, sweet sweet tooth is getting a second season i'm excited about that i like sweet tooth i mean when we say netflix are going for quality rather than quantity they're going for quality for the shareholders so that's like red red notice 2 and the gray man 2 like quality is a very subjective metric on that (laughs) (laughs) they have the guillermo del toro spooky fest that seems neat and and guillermo del toro's Pinocchio, uh, the Pinocchio, and and Pinocchio, and uh, they have the uh, Midnight Club from uh, uh, what's the name? The guy who did the Haunting of 
Hill House and Bly Manor. And oh, um, yeah, sorry, what's Mike, this? Mike yes. Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope. Cause, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope Netflix still produces interesting original things as opposed to these two hundred million dollar action movies that all look well, like even fucking fake. Even the same like, that all look <laughs> the same. Man wasn't even produced by Netflix. It was a Warner. Brothers oh yeah, yeah, it's Warner Television. Yeah, it's yeah. Warner, so, so, I mean, if which they, all that stuff is a whole other bag of words. Yeah, like, why, well, why is Warner making something but not distributing it? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, nobody really knows what's happening in Warner Brothers right now. To be fair. Yeah. Zaslav does everything's looking up Zaz. I also didn't. I also didn't realize like all these all these streaming because Darren, you, your last uh, in the frame, not your last one, the one before, maybe two before, about how this the streaming wars and all that, and you know this consolidation of content and it's just a fucking mess. Like I didn't realize like Cinemax moved Warriors. I didn't realize Cinemax was dead. First of all. Like Cinemax, I didn't realize Cinemax still existed. Cinemax is, so I'm gonna be honest, they did till like last year, I guess, and now they're dead. And so now Warriors, that that Bruce Lee inspired show, is now on HBO. Like all these shows are getting shopped out everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even keep like, track like, but, of it anymore. It's so much more yeah. confusing than cable ever was. That's it. Like, and it's like you don't even know it exists, and then it's already dead. It's like you, you yeah. when you're looking through, like you do. I'm pretty sure people have done the same thing I have, where you're reading like a Wikipedia, and there's a link to a show that sounds interesting, and you're like, oh, it's streaming on something I have never heard of, and it's like, oh yeah, that only existed for like uh, five months uh, yeah. in the yeah. Yeah. and I'm now sure. is completely inaccessible. I'm sure, Epics will be the next one to go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was even. I, I still don't think Epic's real. <laughs> you were the only person who ever brings up Epic, so I don't think it's real. But also, I watched the trailer yesterday for the uh, the Daniel Radcliffe Weird Al movie mm-hmm. on on Roku. Is it? It said on Roku, and I was like, "What does that mean?" A Roku channel still like, exists. <laughs> I thought Roku. What's the I device on which you watch all this stuff? Yeah, yeah no, maybe well, like saying it's it's on your VCR, and I'm like, what? What do you yeah. mean it's on my VCR? Yeah, there's, there's been a Roku channel forever. Like you can watch a bunch of free stuff on it. <laughs> I don't. I pay. I pay for fucking 15 services, so I like. I feel bad if I don't use one of them every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I'm very excited for the Weird Al movie. <laughs> oh, that looks amazing! Like Evan Rachel, Evan Rachel Wood, Wood as, as Madonna. As Madonna. <laughs> what is going on? So, is it only on Roku? Or are they putting it in theaters? I think it's only Roku. But again, like I do love that it's like Daniel Radcliffe has like made his money from like Harry Potter and is now like now I do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> I'm gonna be a farting corpse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the, in the uh, which is a nice movie. segue, nice segue into what we're talking about in a moment. Uh, one oh, of no. the one of the premier movies produced by A24 incredible we did good yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't think we had we it did. in us <laughs> I, and I, I think we're mostly just full of hot air ah, ah that movie had so many farts in it that great, was, that was a great I love that I movie so that movie. much best watch. movie about being a dad not directed by Spielberg bye <laughs> <laughs> move over Fablemans we got yeah. farting corpses going up yeah. um so yeah, our other our other topic, uh, A24, uh, it's celebrating its 10th anniversary, founded uh, August 20th, 2012. Um, they st- very quickly went from, um, oh, who are they to, oh, they're just distributing uh, not only really interesting genre movies, but movies that are slowly accumulating like a, a snowball of, of Academy Award nominations and then ultimately wins with uh, Moonlight a few years ago. And then a bunch of, uh, you know, actors have, have, have won and, and um, you know, they've gotten, I think, over 25 nominations. Um, and to me, when I see their uh, uh, when I see their logo appear, you know, before a trailer or something, 
it it's the same feeling that um you know for folks into into video games when you see something is like uh published by like devolver or annapurna like they've um they, they've sort of um they're tastemakers in a way mm-hmm. like it seems like the, it is them ostensibly giving their seal of approval to something and the things they release are cool is like the word I think of. It's like the the things that people. It's unique. It's it's not just you know they're actual like movies with like interesting premises and they to me yeah. to me I feel like they're 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 pretty much like the double A of the games industry and like mm-hmm. and that that sector has been rising up a lot with the stagnation of a lot of triple A stuff. You know you have Focus Entertainment, you have Annapurna, you have. Devolver, you know, all these things that are getting bigger budgets as they keep releasing new and interesting projects and, you know, are a bit smarter with their money, I would say. Uh-huh. Uh, and A24, I think, is going to inspire more companies to start branching out to do weird and fun movies again that aren't just fucking franchise. And on relatively small budgets, like, you yeah. can get movies that make 50 or, you know, $100 million. You have everything everywhere all at once earlier this year, which ended up being this like their highest grossing movie success. I think. yeah yeah like yeah. an absolute shocking success and and you know again by the daniels who who did the farting corpse movie that we just mentioned um yeah uh, darren what do you what, what, what are your sort of high level thoughts on a24 well generally speaking usually uh positive uh, i do think that obviously as with any movie studio everything they produce isn't going to be for everybody sure. um and i mean like everybody has their own tastes and stuff like that and i do find myself a little bit anxious about how like again you, you mentioned this is the 10th anniversary of a24 so this is the 10th anniversary of the studio there's been a lot of retrospectives and there's this tendency to almost reduce them down to a brand or a set of cliches there was an article i think in vulture which was like how you know you're watching an a24 movie or how to identify an a24 film fan it's like they're all hipsters who live in brooklyn or whatever yeah. i say not being a hipster who doesn't live in Brooklyn. But I mean, I do think I that think this accent that, is all fake. I think like the backdrop <laughs> is all fake. You're in Williamsburg right now. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I, I, think, when I think of age 24, I think very art house. Yeah. And I, and I kind of, I find myself kind of pushing back a little bit against that because I think it undercuts a lot of the variety of what they do, where obviously, like, as you said, they have a bunch of Oscar nominations. They also, like, even just as an Irish person, they do a lot of international film distribution. So, like, Irish films, like, say, Room, which is directed by Lenny Abramson, or um, was it The the Killing of a Sacred Deer? That's an uh-huh. A24 movie as well. Or even, like, Lee Cronin's Hole in the Ground. Lee Cronin's the guy who's doing Evil Dead Rise on yeah. HBO Max. Uh, at some point in the future, uh, which looks great. But like they, they're really good at like recognizing international talent, bringing it over as well. Variety of genres there as well. You mentioned they've done awards fair. You know, obviously, like they did Minari uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Best Picture nominee already last year. Um, but then and, and obviously like the horror stuff, which is probably the stuff that they're best known for. The horror science fiction genre stuff that's kind of broken through. We're talking about things like, say, The Witch, for example, or The Lighthouse. Um, and I'm just like, I'm really glad that they exist. I find myself a little bit anxious and nervous that like it used to be that these would be movies that would be made by, say, Warner Brothers or by Fox or by yeah. like even Columbia before it became Sony. And now there's literally just like A24 and Annapurna are the two studios that produce these now on yeah. tiny budgets. But I am I'm always kind of thrilled to see them, um, which is delightful. Like, I'm always really glad to go to the cinema and see an A24 movie. Like you mentioned, like Bodies, 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 which I saw last week after we we kind of did this chat. And while like 
I don't think I've ever felt as old as I did watching Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's still a movie that I kind of watched and was like, this is amazing that yeah. they're giving the freedom to like get this made on a reasonably low budget with a cast that is having as much fun and a concept that is like clever and playful and like just enjoying itself. Like, is that that's the thing when you talk about these as a kind of an awards company or you talk about them, or, you know, that reputation they have, we talk Brooklyn hipsters. There is this tendency to think of them as an art house company. I also think that their movies are just like fun and playful and smart. Absolutely. Like I think like Marcel the Shell with Shoes On yeah. is not a movie that I would consider pretentious in any way, shape or form. Nope. Um, and it's just a delight. So yeah, I am, I'm, I'm a very, very, very fond of A24, I have to admit. Yeah, they, uh, they, it also feels like they're like, they're using their money to fund uh, uh, writers and directors who I just love. And so it seems like they're like using their finances for goods. For, yeah. for for good, for the sake of good. Like, I love that they've, you know, they helped kickstart the Safdies career with Good Times yeah. and Uncut Gems. And you mentioned Robert Eggers with uh, The Witch and, and Lighthouse and uh, Ari Aster with uh, uh, Hereditary, Midsommar. I think they're also doing... Sean uh, Baker, for example, yeah. like Red Rocket. He's doing yeah, yeah. Island. Even yeah. Alex Garland with Ex Machina and, and uh, Men, David Lowry yeah. with A Ghost Story and uh, The Green Knight. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it also has some of my favorite, like, swings, which... Some of them could be misses, but, um, you know, I I adore Under the Silver Lake. Like, I think and I understand all of its problems, but like, I absolutely adore that movie. And the fact that Robert or David Robert Mitchell hasn't made a movie since makes me so sad. <laughs> I am glad that it exists is the, is the extent that I'll go to on, Under the Silver Lake. What about, it's one of those how do you feel about It Follows? I love It Follows. I mean, yeah, like, It, it follows, follows is a masterpiece. And I think yeah. that Under the Silver Lake is an interesting film. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't work for me entirely, but I kind of admire the fact that there's a studio that makes this. That there's a yeah. studio that looked at that concept and was like, for this budget with this director, this is workable for us, which feels mm -hmm. increasingly rare in this day and age, to be entirely fair. So I'm just, again, I, it's one of those movies where I go and see it, and even if I don't love it, I am glad that it exists, which yeah. is kind of an interesting feeling to have, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And they they make things that are heartfelt and sincere, like uh, uh, like Ladybird. And then they make uh, uh, things that give me panic attacks in theaters, like Climax, which I absolutely loved. But I was like, I, what am I, going? I can't see this. What's happening? Uh, yeah, they Uncut work with Gems, the... which is a sustained two hour panic attack, like, which, which is, is so kind good. of amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah, really loved it. Uh, you know, doing doing uh, the the horror duology with Ty West with X and Pearl this year. Um, I really loved it's Color so Denise. excited for Pearl. Uh, so am I. Yeah, uh, just really, really great stuff. And then like really sort of like small scale touching sentimental stuff like the last black man in San Francisco, which introduced me to Jonathan majors. Um, you know, the farewell obviously. Lulu Wang's farewell is like a, a beautiful little film. Yeah. Um, eighth grade by Bo Burnham, which I always which get confused great. by like mid nineties with the Because I think they may have literally came out the same season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously winning the Oscar with, uh, uh, Moonlight. Yeah. Which I, okay. How did you, where did you stand on Moonlight and La La Land? I mean, controversial take. I'm happy with I'm happy with either of them. I think they're both really good movies. Was La La Land I think an A24 movie. No, no, no that was no, just no, that no. Oscar uh, season was it was the that, two of them. And then they announced La La Land <laughs> and then they were like, oh, JK, we named the wrong movie. It was Moonlight. 
Oh. Do you know why? Do you know why that happened? Which is one of my favorite Oscar like stories ever. Which is like what? so basically, it's Warren Beatty and Faye Dunna, Faye Dunaway yeah, are reading it, yeah. right? And if you, if you notice, if you watch it, there's a moment where like where uh, Beatty seems to like pause and be confused, and Dunaway has to like poke him and say, "Read the card." What <laughs> Was it the best is? actress card? It said like yes! Emma Stone, yes! La La yes! Land. Yeah. The, apparently, like Emma Stone had just won the Oscar for La La Land, and like gone yeah. backstage, she's getting her picture taken with the KPMG adjudicator, whose job. It was to make sure shit like this didn't happen. Yeah. And apparently he was so busy getting his selfie taken with Emma Stone, he apparently had her envelope in his hand. So when Warren Beatty went out on stage, he grabbed it off the KPMG adjudicator, opened it up and saw Emma Stone's name and was like, wait, did she produce this? It's like, is this an Emma Stone production, Emma Stone movie? And apparently <laughs> Faye Dunaway's like, no, just read the card, Warren. And he's like, OK, La La Land. Um which is kind of amazing. Understandably, I, I don't believe I don't believe that KPMG adjudicator was at the Oscars any of the following years. No, he uh, <laughs> he was murdered. <laughs> no, don't ever see them again. So that's that's interesting. Small yeah. movie on small, that. Small tangent, but La La Land is a movie that I would normally hate, but I love that movie. <laughs> I adore La La Land. I, 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 I love like, I know, I like it. I know it's not like the happiest movie. I just feel like I don't know. That movie is just. Like you just sit there and I've watched it like six different times. It's just a movie I like to yeah. rewatch like every few months. No, and I'm I'm the, the again for talking about uh, writers directors who are like batting a thousand. Uh, I adored Whiplash. I love First Man. Like I think First Babylon Man is a movie. Not watched First Babylon's Man. the new the new with Brad Pitt yeah. and Margot Robbie. Yeah, supposedly yeah. in black and white. Supposedly three hours. <laughs> supposedly coming out in December, but no one's seen a frame of it. Which he's like, yeah, this is, this is exactly this is what we want. Yeah, yeah. We're eating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Between that and then uh, Ari Aster's Disappointment Boulevard, which they're like, is four hours, and he refuses to budge on the running time. I'm like, great, <laughs> let's do it. I mean, like, it's not like that hurt Midsummer. to be fair. Like, it's not no. as if the absurdly long runtime hurt Midsummer. to be fair. No, exactly. Yeah, and again, A24, they, like, uh, uh, these movies highlight actors who end up rising up through pop culture. Like, Florence Pugh, yeah. that was the first time I think I noticed her as the lead in anything, and now she's, you know, one of the anchors of the MCU, and she's all up involved in Don't, Don't Worry Darling, which I'm very excited for. <laughs> And all the gossip that accrues from that so as well. So much gossip. What is happening? <laughs> Darren, have you... Uh, oh, make a movie about this. To, to like, oh, switch topics oh, just a little bit. Have you heard of that uh, Barbarian movie? I have not. Which Barbarian movie? The horror movie? movie? Yeah, the new horror it's called movie. Barbarian. It comes out September Ooh. 9th. And I think Ooh, it's from, I have not. like some of the people that worked on like The Grudge and, and all Ooh, kinds okay. of stuff. Yeah, it's got a really good review uh, so far. I've heard on, on uh, the the big picture a, a Ringer podcast that I listen to all about movies. Uh, the the host whose whose um, opinions I align with often said the movie's incredible. Don't know anything about the movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And so I'm like scared to even look up a trailer <laughs> or even what like is it about actual barbarians? Like I don't even want to know a frame of it before it comes out because I think it comes yeah. out in like a week or two. Yeah, so. it comes out September yeah. 9th. Yeah, yeah I, I, I normally yeah, I haven't gone to see movies in theaters, but I'll, uh, horror movies are the movies I will show up to a theater for with a crowd like seeing even seeing oh, yeah. a bad horror movie with a crowd is a better experience than watching it at home. Um, I will say actually like The Quiet Place is a movie that's just phenomenal to watch with a crowd because yeah. you'll notice that the crowd goes quiet. It's the only time I've ever seen a cinema audience feel embarrassed about eating popcorn. It's kind of amazing. I think that's one of the reasons I've adored the first Quiet Place and then the second one came out during the pandemic, right? Yeah. And so I watched it yeah. from home and it didn't, I thought it was you know pretty good, but it didn't really resonate with me in the same way the first one did. And I wonder if that was because I didn't see it opening night in a crowded theater like I did the original. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, like even watching it at home, my my mom would whisper no. to me. Like, my, even yeah. watching it at home with the family, mom was like, "What's happening now?" Like, What's so the these aliens are no, the aliens <laughs> aren't real. They're not going to come. <laughs> yeah. You can talk, you just can, like, aliens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just in case the aliens in the movie would hear her ask the question about the aliens in the movie. Yeah. Because they're very judgmental. Um, oh, yeah. You know what? You know what kind of experience you won't get in a movie theater though is watching the first Paranormal Activity. I have I have a story for you, Darren. I think you oh, like okay. this. Go on. So Go on. first paranormal activity, I think everybody's probably seen it, so spoilers, too bad. Uh at the very end of the movie, so context on this, I was I was uh, however old watching it on my phone with headphones on in my bedroom. Uh at the very end of the movie, you remember how uh she kills Mika and she's standing in the doorway in a white nightgown? So I yeah, look up something like come at the camera. Well, she, yeah, she literally throws him down the hallway yeah. and then she's standing yeah. there in the doorway in her white nightgown. Well, I'm at that part in the movie and I look up and my fucking mom is standing in the doorway right. in a white nightgown and I <laughs> about shit myself. I just, oh my God, scared, most scared I've ever been in my life. <laughs> just like, oh God. I started That's sp- the way movies are meant to be seen. That's like a 4D <laughs> yeah. experience. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, this, this video is like, okay, so Nick's mom, we need you to land at this particular moment. He's watching right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, ultimate experience. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I, mean, I have a similar experience when I got like I managed to convince my parents to get a TV in my bedroom um, and it was like Channel 4 which is one of those boutique kind of like small broadcasters in the UK that does interesting stuff they were having a season of Japanese horror so the the evening I got the TV in my bedroom they were showing The Ring or Ringu the like 1999 horror mm-hmm. movie and I remember like sitting in my bedroom and promised my parents I wouldn't stay up past my bedtime. I wasn't going to watch anything inappropriate. I wouldn't watch any horror movies. And sitting down watching this Japanese horror movie about murderous television sets. <laughs> and basically having to like lock the cabinet that holds the TV open while sleeping with an eye open. As, like holding my kind of... <laughs> Why did I bring this thing into my room? <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only other movie that just creeped me out to the point like I... Still, it still bothers me is, is The Grudge. Just seeing that the fucking hair coming out of the ceiling with that sound. <laughs> oh man, if I see like a shadow like slowly creeping Japanese down. Horror. Like, I guess they just yeah. they have it. <laughs> well, that's why auditions. Any anytime I see like from the creative minds behind the garage on a horror movie, like all right, I got to go see it, even if it's bad, I got to go see it. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you worried about being auditioned? Are you worried about being like uh, <laughs> drugged and then murdered with piano wire? <laughs> yeah, I'm worried that I'm gonna I'm gonna seem to have a nice romantic comedy set up for a good hour of the movie that I'm in, and then. It's actually like a fatal, fatal attraction horror movie at yeah. the end of it. Like that was the thing. Like, it was because again, I was a kid. It was the Japanese horror season. I was like, you know, ten or eleven or twelve, and it's like, oh, so we're doing like when Harry met Sally, and then, then it's not when Harry met Sally, which is kind I, of the best thing about it. I always I appreciate movies that uh, take a hard turn and change genres yeah. at a certain point. Like even the original Cloverfield. No, yeah. Even when I rewatch it, I don't rewatch it a bunch, but whenever I rewatch it, I get lulled into the found footage rom-com that it starts out as like the party and will they, won't they? And then I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Aliens are coming. <laughs> I forgot. There's a big monster you know attack what? in this city. You know, movie changes genres a lot. What's that? The ABCs of death. Did you ever watch that Darren? I have not watched that. That's the, the <laughs> not even. It's it's like a Japanese horror film that goes through the entire alphabet, and each each one is like a little short film. 
and it's like some like F is for fart, <laughs> and it's literally the this F is farting for fart. to death. Yeah, like literally this woman <laughs> getting sucked into an asshole from a fart. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's the weirdest Wait, is this movie. Japanese? Because what I'm looking right now is is very American. Uh, is it the 80s? Maybe it's a remake of a Japanese movie. It might. It might be a remake. Yeah. It's it, like an it, anthology. It, Interesting. It's yeah. It's like it's, I think like each, the, each the one way that you describe directors. it, it reminds me of Butt Boy. Did anybody see Butt Boy? <laughs> Sorry. I remember hearing. What are we doing? We're just making a movie. At this point. <laughs> no, but Butt Boy is about a guy who discovers that he enjoys putting stuff up there but then discovers that he has an insatiable appetite for it and so it becomes a kind of a horror movie and it's kind of it's it sounds like it's a reverse swallow it is not a reverse swallow it ends up like with this situation where slight spoiler for butt boy if you're gonna watch butt boy <laughs> jump ahead 10 seconds now and don't come back to it but it ends up where like the entire primary cast ends up trapped inside his butt um classic <laughs> classic mix up <laughs> it's it's something to behold i remember getting a screener of it and being like what is this um and, and uh, like, fair, fair, fair Jews, it, it, it lives up to its title. It's like one of those things, like, I watched Glorious. I watched uh, the movie you recommended last week. And hell it was yeah, like, Glorious. Yeah, this, this, this feels like it's as pure a distillation of the concept as imaginable. I cannot yeah. fail this. This is an unfailable movie. They Again, saw the assignment. <laughs> yeah, they, they understood it perfectly. And that's another movie yeah. where I'm like, oh, this was definitely a pandemic movie. Because you're like, all right, <laughs> let's get one actor. And then J.K. Sims could just do VO from somewhere else. And then we'll just yeah. sign in this room with a glory hole. Yeah, perfect. Jesus. Um, Sorry, we, we are talking about A twenty four, aren't we? Uh, yeah, which Butt Boy, their other movie that won Best Picture. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say the Oscar is currently like, up that characters. Anyway, never mind. That is a badooch. Um, yeah, I mean, I was gonna say if we have picks for for A twenty four movies that that folks should check out, but I feel like we named. You a bunch of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, all the ones that really stand out. Were there any that stand out to you? We didn't mention Under the Skin, which I love. Jonathan Glazer's yeah. movie with Scarlett Johansson, probably her best performance in my mind. Yeah, again, I was going to mention, because we talk about a lot of the later stuff, where kind of like their reputation mm-hmm. is kind of codified, and that's the stuff we've kind of been mentioning. Stuff like X from this year is very good. Men from this year is very good. But if you go for earlier stuff, uh, things like J.C. Shander's A Most Violent Year, which feels yeah. like a lost classic of 70s cinema, uh, which is just amazing. It looks, the digital cinematography on it is amazing. Um, things like Locke, uh, which is like, again, it feels like it's a pandemic movie, even though it was made like, you know, six years before the pandemic yeah, happened. Yeah. But it's a movie in which uh, Tom Hardy is a Welsh concrete maker whose life unravels as he takes a several phone calls on a drive to London. Um, which is kind of, it's an amazing high concept movie from Stephen Knight, who's also responsible for, uh, you know, like he did Peaky Blinders and he also did Serenity, which is not an A24 movie. Oh my God, it's not, I love Serenity so much. <laughs> it, it's a movie. It's definitely a movie. It goes for it. It's a movie that goes for it, which is oh kind of what God. I Oh my God, that was one of those movies where someone told me, go into, like, don't look up yeah, a trailer, go yeah, into no. it. And I was like, Matthew McConaughey, Jeremy Strong and, and Anne Hathaway, this sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, and it, the movie just goes. And there's a point where you're like, wait, there's one way that this makes sense, but there's no way they'll do it. And then they do it. And you're like, wow. Especially for our audience here at The Escapist, I recommend checking out uh, the movie Serenity, not the Joss Whedon Serenity. It's, <laughs> no. it's just also called Serenity with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, check it out. Don't watch trailers. Uh, it yeah. is strange. Really and Green Room. To, Green Room would be the other one I'd recommend. Oh as my well. god, I love Green Room. I really Green Room's so much fun. I really like the uh, the tragedy of Macbeth last year. I thought that was yes. great. Yeah. And yeah. It's a, it's like a movie you definitely need to watch more than once to like I think get you know, unless you know the, the story of Macbeth or whatever, but yeah. I, I don't know however they filmed that. Maybe it's just like the lack of music yeah. or anything. I just felt inc- 
incredibly unsettled the entire time I was watching. Yeah. It. Yeah. Same thing with the aspect ratio, like filming it and, and was a four by three. Yeah. And with, with obviously with the black and white, um, yeah. it does feel, it does feel like it was kind of a non-conventional aspect ratio. It's been a while since I've seen it, but definitely wasn't widescreen, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's old Academy ratio. It's black and white. It looks like a German expressionist uh, kind of cinema at the risk of mm-hmm. kind of like smelling my own farts, but it, like it yeah. does, it, it kind of has this feel of being an old fashioned kind of silent movie, like the kind that you would watch, you know, at the wee hours of the morning on some channel that had got the rights for next to nothing. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning to look at. And what's her name? Um, who plays the witch is, or the, Witches is phenomenal. It's a Catholic Oh my Hunter. god, she's so good. She's, yeah. she's amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that movie as well. Um, the other one, I, I was just looking through their list of movies that I haven't seen a ton of their movies, but Ex Machina. Yeah. yeah. That as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, love that. Which, uh, okay, so can we talk about uh, what's what's her name? Uh, uh, what's the. Lisha Vikander? No, no, no. The actress who's in House of the Dragon, who has oh, the worst Alpha? accent choice. Oh, Oh, Sonia, uh, Sonia, um, yes, the one who's from Devs, the one who works with Yeah, that, yeah, um, the lead in Devs, who I adored in Devs and in Ex Machina. But what is going on with her accent here? What is going, what is, is she the, is she, uh, she's, uh, Damon's Damon. mistress. Damon, yes. Yeah. What are we, what are we doing there? Is that, is it Jamaican? Is that what that accent is? <laughs> Because she's she's British, I think, isn't she? She's she's a British actor, so like, she, and I've heard her speak like, and obviously she does an American accent in Devs as well, and I thought yeah. that was fairly decent as well. Um, yeah, the accent is a choice. The accent is it, certainly a choice. It is. I just it, it, like to me, it was so jarring in this episode, like the scene they have in Dragonstone when they're in that room that like that was Stannis's main room where he had his big yeah. board and uh, uh, made all of his weird ghost babies with uh, the the Red Priestess who. Do we think she's going to show up? I'm trying to think well, if she, there's any any if there's a possibility for any characters to show up from Thrones. And I think Darren the only two, <laughs> the only two. Oh, this is just more like oh, Darren left. Darren. He was so worried Darren that Darren was left. Spoiling, he just fucking noped out. Darren was so worried about spoilers that he's like, I can't be double me. <laughs> I think we just proved. I think the Red Priestess shows up. Uh, no, I turn your camera. Darren. Uh, Darren, Wait. were you worried about spoilers that you just ran away? Uh, clearly, that is clearly exactly what happened. It certainly isn't that my connections dropped for some reason I can't control. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, uh, she, she said she said that she yeah he's out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the two Lannister characters in their regards, the the two characters that I feel like could show up, which I like, I feel like I would roll my eyes if they actually did, would be uh, Melisandre, who's seemingly hundreds of years old. I don't know how old she is. When she takes her necklace off, she's very old, so I don't know what's going on with her. And then also, we could possibly get a weird, like, which I hope we don't get, is like a weird brand vision. Be like, hey guys, it's me, Bran. I'm back. <laughs> 200 years ago. Let's see what's going on here. We're waiting for a Night King origin story, right? That's clearly what the second season's gonna turn out to be. Like, that's clearly what we're going for, right? That's, I, we're gonna I'm, just have to... I'm busy that year. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't do the show anymore that year. The, the crab feeder, like after a, an extended war in the Stepstones, gets really tired and decides he's going to head north of the Wall and see what's happening there. Oh, I'd be and down they'll... for that. That would make the Night King so much better <laughs> if it turned out he was a crab feeder. Oh, I love that. crabs would have tons of stuff to feed on up there. If endlessly yeah. think about it, think yeah. about it. Yeah, it, <laughs> ma- it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Exactly. And I mean, they are called the Stepstones, so they're clearly a stepping stone too. See, now you're just spoiling. Now you're yeah. spoiling what the yeah. next couple episodes are about. Clearly. I am. Unfortunately, yeah. that's that's exactly what happens in the screeners that I've been given. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm sorry to ruin it for everybody. Um, uh, 
I really uh, did like it when when the Night King and the Crab Feeder gave each other like a high five and did a little shimmy together. Yeah, um, they, they hold hands and the crab has his little crab claw. Yeah, yeah I don't think do, he has they, a crab claw. I think he's just they a do, man. They do Gagnum style. Um, yeah, that was really what the kind of. I what think that would be great. I think that'd be a wonderful little twist halfway through the season. Who expects that? Yeah. Um, apparently you. <laughs> apparently me. Yeah, we're predicting <laughs> it. Uh, all right, before we before we uh, go over those last super chats and and close out for the day, do you guys have any? Have you guys watched anything recently that uh, uh, stood out one way or another, for good or for bad? Darren, you mentioned you saw three thousand years of longing. I do, and I had a really great time with it. I really, really, really I? enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's just a joy. It's just like such a. It's a weird movie for him to follow, like Fury Road with, where it's just this. It's a much slower, much more kind of like somber, romantic kind of. It's a, mm-hmm. a romantic tale of longing and the death of the monoculture, which is a weird thing for a movie to be about. But it's really yeah. enchanting and beautiful, and it looks gorgeous, and the performances are fantastic. I had a really, really great time with it. I also saw See How They Run, which I believe is opening next weekend. I don't think I can review that yet. Uh, but I can give you social sentiment, which is that Darren like a lot. Um, I think I think I can get away with it if it's in broken English. I think that's the rules. Um, and then oh, that's yeah, the one that's kind of like the the old like the caper. Like yes, the caper, it's, the it's the old caper. Agatha, the Agatha Christie one. It stars Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's good fun. Like it's it's not a classic. It's not a movie that I imagine that I'll be revisiting on a, on the regular. It's very much like inspired by Knives Out, but not really. And also inspired by the films of Wes Anderson. It's really nice to see. Like we've reached the stage where we're not ripping off Quentin Tarantino anymore. We're ripping off Wes Anderson. And yeah, I know. Oh, it's so exciting. Great. Um, and, and it's like ripping off Wes Anderson is hard. It takes a lot more effort than trying to rip off Tarantino. So you kind yeah. of admire it a bit more. It's like everything has to be at a right angle. Um, yeah. That's the key. You have to have a certain amount of OCD in order to rip off uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not the thing where Anderson was like, he watches Rushmore and he feels really embarrassed that it's not perfect. So he will now spend as long as it takes <laughs> to get the movie that he wants to get. Now, Which see how they run. No, no, probably not. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's nice doing it. And we really appreciate him. And he's a nice person. And you get to hang out with nice actors. But actually making the movie is like a waking nightmare where he will direct you to a centimeter is apparently like what what the uh, feet, the line is on Anderson as a director. Uh, can't, which is, I can't imagine the, the amount of work that goes into those. <laughs> yeah. Like we have to do another take. Unfortunately, you landed just three centimeters off the center of the frame. You threw off the yeah. symmetry. Um, we're just going to take it from the top. Can we just pull everything back and shoot over again? Uh, it's yeah, funny, see it's funny to look at which actors continue working with Wes Anderson because it seems like they can put up with that. And then yeah. which are just like, all right, I'm out. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I've, I've done one. <laughs> like, yeah. like, again, that's the Bruce Willis thing, which like Bruce. And again, obviously, the, the aphasia diagnosis, which yeah. is very tragic, and very heartbreaking. But you look at his career and there's a moment in like 2012, I think it is, where he does like he does Looper. He does Min- Moonrise Kingdom in the yeah. space of a year. And you're like, that's an amazing alternate universe for yeah. Bruce Willis. Like where if he, working with some of the most interesting directors and yeah. yeah and doing interesting things with his persona. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the stuff that happened, uh, the stories that have come out since suggest that it wasn't a choice that he made, but it's still yeah. interesting to kind of like go back and look at that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating that like, and it's fascinating that it's like Ed Norton, who is like the least controllable actor in Hollywood. The most yeah, difficult yeah. man in movies is like, yeah, Wes, Seems cool. I'll, I'll make a bunch of movies with Wes. Yeah, you can be uh, this uh, saccharine scoutmaster in, in Moonrise Kingdom and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You get to do your impression of the fugitive. My favorite fact about Wes Anderson, um, sorry, this is tangent upon tangent upon tangent, Love is it. that apparently he sneaks a reference to Heat 
into every movie that oh he makes. Oh my god! And he really? and he is he's really pissed that critics never recognize it. It's like oh, they always spot my references to like Truffaut and Bresson and stuff. But it's like no, I've been remaking Heat for like twenty years and nobody's ever called me on it. He needs to make is- it more obvious. He needs to have some character just go. She's got a great ass. <laughs> That's the but way we'll all be like. Oh, okay, you got it. But I mean, he he kind of does that with Grand Budapest with the fugitive, where it's like, in case you don't get that he's doing the fugitive, it's like, I want you to search every outhouse, doghouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a movie. Oh. Yeah, love that, that movie I, so much. Did you, uh, what did you think of French Dispatch? I liked it. I admired it more than I kind of loved it, is probably the best way to put it. I kind of like, I found myself moved by it, particularly the final story with Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, but I did that was find my it favorite. a bit. Uh, I found it a bit uneven kind of throughout. I think it has that problem yeah. that anthology films have where sure. you know, the, the whole doesn't always add up. It's kind um, of impossible to, to maintain a high on uh, yeah. anthology movies. Yeah. I, I think 2000 years does it really well. Sorry. I have yeah. the art house of art house movies showing up today as a 4k copy. Can is you guess it, what it is? Crash again? Is no, Moonfall again? No. Mm-hmm. Move on. Darren, I bet you can guess what it is. Okay, give me give me a hint. Wait, How what, recent is it? It is an action movie with dogs. Action movie. Is it John with... Wick one or two or three. Action movie with dogs. Oh, it's it's a gray. Nope. Okay, is it that? Is it that movie that? Uh, what was the one the the fucking um, the Disney one with nope. uh, what's nope. his face? Nope. Okay, no, it's. Uh, I'll give you okay, action uh, sub, subgenre action horror with dogs. Oh, Joe. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Somebody in chat oh. said it. <laughs> ne- oh, is it Neil Marshall's um, Ginger Snaps? Nope. Uh, Neil, uh, Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers? Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers, Neil Marshall's Dog <laughs> yeah. Soldiers. Sorry. Supporting Irish filmmakers. Isn't he, is he? No, no, I think, Neil I think he's Irish? Scottish. I think he's Scottish. <laughs> never he? I don't know. Have you That's like a cardinal sin. Marty? Uh, I have uh, seen Dog Soldiers. Oh, I just like didn't think anyone would bring that movie up in the year of our Lord 2022. <laughs> it's getting a 4K re-release. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's English, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... The second I mean, like, best I, I, werewolf movie. <laughs> Behind the Howling, is it? Uh, oh, Howling's uh, so good. American Werewolf in London. Silver okay, Bullet. Fair. Yeah, the well, Wolfman. Silver Bullet, the one I also don't years. mind the remake of The Wolfman. Oh, the Benicio Del Toro one. Yeah. Yeah, with, uh, I didn't mind that movie either. That was, uh, who, who, that was the... Um, Joe Johnson, wasn't it? The Joe guy Johnson, like, yeah. Yeah, and, and Rocketeer, the Rocketeer. Captain America, yeah. 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 Um, I'm gonna be honest. I did not expect in a million years to have dog soldiers be brought up uh, <laughs> on this on this podcast. Um, speaking of genre horror action movies, I saw Samaritan. Um, oh, that's new... the Sylvester Stallone Amazon movie, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I wasn't crazy about it. It's like a it's okay. a, a, ostensibly Sylvester Stallone kind of doing like Unbreakable, like a, a grounded superhero movie. Um, uh, kind but, of Unforgiven vibes as well, right? Because he's a retired superhero, isn't he? He's been yeah, and there's a there's like a there's a turn that okay. comes to the end, which I think was extremely core. It was within the opening narration. <laughs> I was like, I bet this is going to happen, and then it happened. <laughs> and they're like, "Aren't you surprised?" And I'm like, "No, I guessed it in the opening narration." And I'm not good at guessing stuff in movies. Um, but uh, I was mostly bummed because it was um, the same director, Julius Avery, whose previous movie was Overlord, which I really liked. Ooh, 2018's oh, yeah. Overlord, which was Nazi yeah. zombies. That's yeah. the Wyatt Russell kind of Nazi zombie. Yeah. 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 Which I had a ton of fun with. And I was like, fuck this guy. I want to follow this guy's career. Like, I think this guy's going to be able to, like, make some bangers. And then this was his next movie. And I'm like, what's going on here? And this was one of those movies that was apparently finished before the pandemic. 
Oh, it's been sitting on the shelf waiting for a home. And was supposed to get a theatrical run, I think, the summer, <laughs> summer 2020. And then it kept getting, the, the can kept getting kicked down the road. And eventually it was just like, just fucking and put it on Amazon. Sylvester Stallone have to go make his kind of Sopranos knockoff, or is it HBO Max? Is that where that's going? Um, but oh, you yeah. Say, you, you wouldn't say that, you wouldn't say this is a good Samaritan then. It was, it was not a good Samaritan. I do. My favorite thing about modern Sly Stallone is how mad he gets at the people who own the rights to the Rocky movies. <laughs> he gets very angry. I mean, my favorite thing is like when he accepted all those awards for for like um, for Creed. Like he would always thank his imaginary friend Rocky Balboa, yeah. and would like always forget to thank like Ryan Coogler, yeah, and Michael B. Jordan, and yeah. Like, and like, it, it, there's no malice. There's no malice in it. But you're also no. like, you feel like at some point somebody's like, Sly, it's very good that you're thanking Rocky, who doesn't exist, but you yeah. know who you should also thank. Yeah, your your co-star and the director. Yeah, yeah. seems like it's a right. so did he just, obvious choice. he just want that one Creed movie to be made and that was it he didn't want all these sequels <laughs> that they're doing um, well, I mean yes. Creed 2 does feature an important subplot in which Rocky like writes a letter about the lamp outside his house I mean I think that's very important oh, it was the spinoff that he's mad about that they're doing <laughs> yeah he does so uh, like, well, well I think he's mad about Creed 3 right because he doesn't have any involvement no I thought they were doing a oh. spinoff isn't that what they're doing well, they're doing a Drago one with them. They're right. doing a Drago movie. I don't know if that's what he's mad about either. Uh, part of me does get the sense after Creed 2, it may be a good thing for Rocky not to be in Creed 3. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want, like, Rocky writes letters to the municipality or Rocky <laughs> does voter registration or whatever weird subplot they have. in order to get the vote? <laughs> I can get behind that. Uh, although, Jonathan Majors, do you see how buff he gets in Creed 3? There's like behind the scenes footage of him. He's he's, he's so buff. He, he's pretty buff to begin with. Like, oh, he's I mean, crazy. He's, he's even love- buffer okay. now. <laughs> he's even buffer. He's gonna beat the he's shit buffering. out of him. <laughs> this new he's gonna Kang's gonna beat the shit out of everyone in Secret Wars. <laughs> he's gonna punch I mean, all of them right in the face. I do feel like not every comic book supervillain needs to be properly ripped. I don't feel like Kang needs to be shirtless. Um, <laughs> Maybe one of his variants needs to be like <laughs> super buff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, last last show I've been watching is uh, see season three started, and I feel like it's like Apple's like little hidden gem of like a big fantasy epic show, and it's oh yeah, that's the one with Jason Momoa, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, like, I don't know if he's watched any of it, Darren, but I mean, it has some of the best action choreography I think I've ever seen in a TV show. It is brutal uh, as fuck. <laughs> I, I, I know you, you, you keep pitching me to pitch on it and I've watched it and I'm like, I, I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's, like it's, it's, it's so weird, <laughs> but it like, it's, and it's like, I don't know what I would write about this, which is yeah. like a really, well, it's probably something that speaks to is a, is a compliment to it in some senses, but yeah. it's like, I have no, I, I don't understand this series' viewpoint from Stephen Knight, by the way, the writer of Locke and Serenity to give like Marty a sense of context for this. You never told me. <laughs> <laughs> that the dude did Serenity did see. I'll watch that now. I don't pay attention to who writes these things. I just look for that's cool that's how you sell me on it. <laughs> Jason Momoa does nothing for me. Stephen Knight. There you and go. Batista's in it as well for a little while. He's in the second two. season yeah, or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but I was uh, I had to bring it up because we have. So not see, is worth a look. That's part of it, but I also had to bring it up because we just haven't mentioned incest enough yet. And in season three, it's the the dude the the kid is like. Yeah, that's not my baby. I didn't fuck my aunt. That's not my baby. <laughs> some, that's some vintage seat. That's, that's, Listen, that's the we only context the you need. 
We went an entire 45-minute conversation about something Thrones adjacent without bringing up incest. <laughs> I mean, we did bring up, like, child assault. Uh, I do feel like, you know, I feel like that was maybe what took the focus this time. <laughs> I mean, that, that child that is, is also yeah. technically, like, his cousin, right? That is true. That is true. I mean, however, the chat is, is directing it towards me. <laughs> yeah. You brought up incest as a weapon against me somehow. I don't know how that happened. I don't like it. Again, for the record, it's I'm, just, I'm it's just anti, your, your I'm thing anti on the escapist now. It's just your thing. It's because I rewatched Game of Thrones and talked about 12 minutes. <laughs> but look, look from, from what Nick's told us, C is also anti-incest. Anti-incest? Uh, ah! <laughs> That's what that's what I love about the John and uh, uh, Daenerys relationship. It was anti incest. Yeah, I think I think the nickname for it should be ants, ants in her pants or ants in his pants. Well, John John stabbed her twice. Jesus. <laughs> okay. The woman died. The woman died before she could sit on the throne. Um, she never got to sit on that throne, which is kind of a bummer for her. She got like twenty. She, also she, she, she melted it down. <laughs> She didn't melt it down. Her dragon did. No, no, her dragon did, yeah. <laughs> she was dead. Her dragon was just upset. Where do you think that dragon took her? Do we really want to know? Did he carry her body? I yeah, mean, he, he, grabbed, he grabbed her he and grabbed flew, her flew away. away. Oh, presumably, presumably that dragon then flew off to wherever the other surviving dragon that was discussed this episode is. And they also had incest babies. Thank you for bringing that up, Marty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up 3,000 Years of Longing, which... Somebody yelled your car. From from what I gathered, didn't have any incest. Samaritan, (laughs) also no incest. And I was going to bring up an anime I'm watching called Birdie Wing. That's a lovely golf anime, but but it doesn't have any incest either. So look at that. Three things I'm watching without incest. It's very wholesome, is what you'd say. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. It is pretty wholesome. (laughs) It is pretty wholesome. That's really good. Uh, Nick, what kind of super chats we got going on? All right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get your super chats in, get them in now, because uh, i got to come back in an hour and a half to finish up Quake okay. 4. Uh, let's see. Uh, Michael Broadman donated $5. says, this dono out of respect for Darren's essays, even though I haven't watched Dragon Show. Would you recommend it to someone who burned out on Thrones? I mean, it is only early days, uh, and I'm always cautious about recommending something in early days because there's always more capacity for it to go off the rails as it goes. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it as is, and I, I think it's not as good as Game of Thrones was at its best, but it is far better than Game of Thrones was at its worst. Um, 100%. Yeah. So, like, that that's kind of what I would recommend. I would also say that it is very aesthetically pitching itself very close to Game of Thrones. We didn't talk about the opening title sequence, but it literally uses the Game of Thrones oh, music. Yeah. We didn't. I, as much as I love the Game of Thrones theme song, was bummed out that there wasn't a new theme. Yeah, slight spoiler for the screeners that I got, and I got the screeners like right before it aired. They didn't contain any title sequence whatsoever. So this feels like it was it was a last minute addition, like the first episode aired without any whatsoever as well, which leads me to believe which leads me to believe that maybe behind the scenes there was a sense of, ah, fuck it, just throw the Game of Thrones music on it. Zaslav was like, we got to do it. And then I kind of like it. I feel like it's like that's such such an iconic theme now, like. It's the Game of Thrones theme, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't, but this isn't Game of Thrones. This is like a it's different. Literally, title. got Game of Thrones above the title of House of the Dragon, so you're wrong. 
Oh, I don't look. I don't look above the title. I'm only a title guy. Okay. Nothing above. Nothing below. Just give me the big font. Whatever's in the big <laughs> font. Um, no colon, baby. No yeah, colon. No. Colon. I'll tolerate it. I'll to- tolerate an exclamation mark, but not a colon. That being said, exactly. I will always take more more music from uh, Roman. Dur- Roman Giovanni. Yeah. 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 Like he, yeah. He's, yeah. Score's great. I just don't think the like. I get it's like all right. The blood is is the family lineage, and you're seeing it split off, and this is the family tree. Um, I don't know. It just didn't click as. Uh, like as a, whereas Game of Thrones, the opening is a no skip for me. Like I never skip. Yeah. It's like the succession opening. Like I will never yeah. skip this. Um, I think I'll skip this opening every time. <laughs> I don't need. I don't need to go down a weird blood river. I've already been down a blood river before. Gross. I don't need. I don't need more blood rivers. Yeah, Andrew Hickbottom donated two pounds. Says who messed up the most this year? Netflix or Warner Bros? Warner Bros. Beyond a doubt. <laughs> It's not even. A, I don't even think it's even a competition. No, no. I mean, I think Warner Brothers has been messing up. I mean, since the pandemic, they took that like short term, like uh, uh, Project uh, Popcorn. Like, yeah. yeah, and then I mean, absolutely burning bridges with like folks like Christopher Nolan and seemingly legendaries. Like, we want to be out of here. Like, we're looking. <laughs> we're looking for a new house. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the entire I mean, animation department as well. Like, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the D list, like literally, like erasing art from history. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Warner Brothers pretty, pretty handedly. <laughs> like Netflix at the very least is just. I'm just like, well, I don't enjoy the Gray Man. <laughs> I, yeah, just but at least he made Mank. That was cool. I, you know, I don't. I don't know how you like. They were on a roll with the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, and it's like we're in the Batman, and it's like what what's you know why not what? continue i mean because you put it? someone who was ahead of reality tv in that way at the charge true. of everything but, yeah that's true but also because like what at&t wanted from them was nothing that they were ever going to be able to deliver so at&t had to offload them very quickly and then as yeah. you said you end up with a guy whose vision includes the 90 day fiance universe well, yeah uh, which yeah. is a phrase that actually appears in the powerpoint Aside- and no no judgment on the 90 day fiance i'm sure it's a great show i'm not entirely sure i want a 90 day fiance universe though yeah the uh it's, I kind of I'm I'm still thinking about like what I said earlier about you know how the games industry, all that talent's kind of going off for me in their own studios and stuff and double A's kind of rising up again. I think the I think just based on how these companies are running you know these franchises into the ground and everything, I feel like that's going to happen. We're going to get a new wave of IP from a lot of these talented creators and more money's going to be thrown around outside of Hollywood eventually. Nick, you better not bring up that fucking Zack Snyder movie again. You bring it up every week. Zack Snyder. Rebel yeah. movie, Rebel Moon Rebel Part Moon? One or Part Two? Yeah. Well, it's that's a Netflix thing. I don't know what's going on with that. The concept art looks. I good. mean, you brought it up. Look, <laughs> Netflix just want to make quality movies. I'm actually very excited about Rebel Moon I am Part too. One or Part Two. But anyway, um, <laughs> the concept arts all look great. Uh, Andrew Hickman. I mean, know. that's mostly. Aren't all Zack Snyder movies best as concept art? I feel, I feel uh, like Batman vs Superman as concept I, art. I feel like I feel like Snyder. That, that's the medium much, in which they work best. Has Snyder yeah. has Snyder done anything that wasn't tied to an IP? Like yeah, Sucker right. Punch. <laughs> yeah, Sucker Punch was his big artistic statement. And that's like um, and that's like everybody's favorite movie from him, right? Guardians of the Galaxy three hundred. Yep, the, the owls, the the legend of the owls, or what, like I can't remember what that is. Which is the weird anti-fascist owl movie, um, which is an interesting turn of phrase to utter in any context. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, yeah I feel Donald like, Donald I feel Donald like he's gone. Like 300 does, Watchmen. Yeah, I feel like he does Army a lot of the better. Dead, I guess, kind of counts as well, even though that's that's zombies, but it's still yeah. an original concept. Right. Yeah, no, I feel like he does a lot better when he's not tied to a licensed property. 
Like, also, there are fewer expectations. Is that's, the thing. That's true. Like, I mean, that's true. Like, I, I get the sense, like, oh, the big thing about Snyder's DC movies is that a large number of people have very fixed ideas of who those characters are. And so and when you do something, <laughs> I, oh, well, again, this is the thing where it's like the Iron Man who appears in the MCU is very different from the Iron Man who appeared in comics before 2008. But nobody sure. cares because the people who read comics before 2008 are a minority part of the audience, whereas Superman has been codified in popular culture since 1978. Yeah. And so as a result, people have very strong ideas about who Superman is, mm-hmm. you know, like. Any any version of Iron Man that appears after this is going to be compared to Robert Downey Jr. Oh, um, whereas yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Same with I would say the same one. Inevitably, we get a new Wolverine. Yeah, they're gonna yeah. they're gonna live in the shadow of Hugh Jackman, um, which is funny because certain Spider Man's been able to adapt from that, and maybe it's just because they've rebooted it so many times. I think maybe because it arrived so quickly, so consecutively. Whereas, yeah, like again, like yeah. the Amazing Spider Man happened so fast. It was like was it what three years, four years after the Spider Man after Spider Man three? three, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like, obviously, like, within three years after that, you have Holland coming in in Civil War as well. So it's like, yeah. it's very much like this is a constant train that just does this now, as opposed to it being something kind of singular and special. Like, like Robert Pattinson. Like, it's like Robert Pattinson. Yeah. It's like the ex-Batman. It's like, OK, well, we're used to this now. But when Michael Keaton shows up, it's like, what the fuck is Mr. Mom doing in the past? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, Warner Bros. saying like. Oh, we're gonna follow the Marvel model. Got me immediately uninterested in anything they're doing now. Because so everyone of, says, everyone says that about everything. It's mm, so, it's so I'm, annoying. I'm legit about so annoying. It. Wait, about everybody's not into that, or that everybody's gonna follow the Marvel model. No, everyone's saying we're gonna follow the Marvel. Oh model. yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah. like Warner, like everything that Warner Bros has done that's been like a singular movie has been good. Joker, the Batman. I, I don't know what else they did. Peacemaker, I guess. Is, uh, Suicide Squad is kind of its own thing now. But then, yeah, you know, you're trying to do Aquaman and all the in Flash and all these things tied to some shared universe bullshit. It's like just, yeah. just, just I mean, focus just, on making good movies. Stop doing ten year fucking plans. Yeah, hire talented people, make talented, make good movies. And like the yeah. thing is, if one of them doesn't work, that's okay because you're going to make more of them anyway. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew Hickebaum donated two pounds. Says either way, the animation industry is fucked. Yeah, that's really that's really fucking sad. Yeah, um, particularly if you've been following animators uh, on Twitter, on social media as well, like Jesus, like the work that those, I know VFX do the same thing as well. And everybody works sure. in the industry does as well. But like just to put that work in and to not have any of it ever see the light of day and not have yeah. anybody ever see it is just I don't know. It's, 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 it's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. Yeah, that's another reason why I think like the industry is due for a shakeup and how, you know, more independent yeah. publishers or whatever of these things. Uh, but in space though donated five dollars as my my one hope for one piece netflix is that the fishmen look good they could work well as cg enhanced prosthetics like davy jones and crew in pirates of the caribbean Ooh. you know man davy jones still looks incredible yeah in pirates of the caribbean it's wild how good that looks um i mean like it's weird how much of the early cgi looks really good like if you go back and you watch gladiator the oliver good. reed yeah. C- yeah. the oliver reed cgi in that looks really yeah. good arguably looks better than the peter cushing cgi in like I was rogue about to say, one i yeah. rewatched i went to i saw rogue one in, in imax over the weekend with like a little bit of andor stuff and that still the the peter cushing and then the um um you know princess Harry Leia fisher at in end. particular at the end yeah i'm just like oh, what are we doing but, also but like the, 
Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that, like, it's, it's interesting how much of the early CGI stuff before we started working them into the ground and used it, like, as a cudgel to fix any problem we had with a movie. Like, when CGI was an art form that we were still exploring, it's odd how much of that holds up. Sorry. Uh, Even how much of it in the original Jurassic Park. And, yeah, like, T2, yeah. like, in The Abyss, these movies that were, like, right in the forefront of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, really I think, oh. like, Jurassic, the original Jurassic Parks look way better than World, anything World did. Something yeah. feels real. There's like, it feels yeah. like there's, there's something it has, there. Yeah. It has mass yeah, and weight. Mm-hmm. And like it's used in a way like slight spoiler, but Spielberg may be a good filmmaker, maybe understands how to use things like shadow and lighting <laughs> and how to position things within a shot to draw the eye. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it, it, yeah, that, that sort of stuff. Like when you have a filmmaker who knows how to use the language of cinema doing this stuff, it's generally better than when you don't. Yeah. It's absurd that folks like him and Scorsese have been this good at their jobs for half a century. Oh, like the, the, the thing with Scorsese, which fascinates me, is like Scorsese is like for all the people are like, oh, the grumpy old grandpa has movie opinions. Like he clearly loves getting to play with all this new shit every time yeah. they bring it out. Like if you look at Hugo when he's doing playing yeah. with 3D, it's like I'm just going to throw so much shit at the audience's face because yeah. I'm never going to get to work in 3D again. And it's like that's amazing that he's like leaning into this or when he's doing fucking like the color of money in 86. It's like movie stars. They're giving me movie stars. I'm going to shoot the shit out of Paul Newman's face. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like the sheer joy that he has working with these toys every time he gets them is kind of just amazing and infectious. I just I yep. love that so much. It's probably, it's probably a topic we can have on a later podcast, but like <laughs> Twitter, Twitter has this thing out for old movie directors who know way better than most of what's coming out. And they just hate when they speak their minds. Well, I think it is also like just the end. Again, this is not a conversation to have now, but it's also the fact that what those people say is reduced to clickbait and 270 yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. So you lose a lot like, of the nuance. Yeah. You get 10 minutes to sit down with one of the greatest artists, yeah. living artists in any yeah. medium, and you ask them, what are your thoughts on Ms. Marvel? Like, what are you fucking doing? Fuck? Why are you wasting? <laughs> Who cares what Scorsese thinks about Marvel movies? It's because you want yeah. to get your viral clip out there, which, exactly. I, you know, I, I understand, like, from a business point of view, but sure, I also, like... Yeah. This is why I don't do interviews, because I'd be yeah. terrible. I'd be like, so Scorsese, talk about your influence in terms of like tw- 1920s German expressionist cinema and like zero retweets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but Scorsese would enjoy the interview, so that's good. Yep. I don't know. Uh, Grunger, five four has got to ignore Twitter. I mean, we ignore Twitter. It's the more of like <laughs> all the all of like the best directors ever have been reduced to clickbait headlines. And it's super fucking yeah. annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, SVS Guru 2000 donated five euros says, Have any of you seen Felide? Felide? F E L I D A E. Felide. No, Felide. an old, old animated, animated murder mystery. mystery. Oh. Felide, Felide movie. No. I have. Uh, looks like 1994 German adult animated mystery film. The word adult is really pronounced there. What does that mean? What's going on with these cats? It's, it's European, so you know. Oh God, no! <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm got, quickly trying to trying to see. No, it doesn't look like it's got any cat porn. No, no. <laughs> they doesn't kept have the anything, cat holes in. Anything? Yeah, it's the the butthole cut. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> release the butthole cut. Where, where was Warner Bros. <laughs> when cats needed to be canceled? <laughs> I don't you do it. Watched cats. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't, no, cat- I didn't like. It. I, I liked it as like a train wreck. I yeah. saw Cats and Rise of Skywalker in the same day as no, press screening. No, no. Uh, that was a, that was a day in which I like came out into the world and like was like maybe theater needs critics. 
Maybe like maybe 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 the future is music criticism. Maybe maybe we shouldn't have movies anymore. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we have enough movies. Maybe maybe cinema has just reached the end and there's nothing left to it. Um, I will say the cats was probably the better movie. But anyway, um, somehow Mr. Mephistopheles has returned. God, a cat and the Rise of Skywalker in the same day. You probably like walked out of the theater, looked up at the sunlight, like. Blind me, please. Well, because it was cat. It was cats first, so I was like, okay. Well, at least the bad movie's out of the way. I can enjoy the afternoon. Um, (laughs) I mean, like one of my favorite stories about cats. I'm sorry, tangent upon tangent upon tangent. But like, is that apparently you'll notice if you watch cats that some of the cats wear shoes and some don't. I believe one of the urban legends that spread around the VFX houses was that this was part of an effort to keep Taylor Swift's feet off fetish sites. So she agreed to do it on the condition that she could wear shoes. And so they're like, okay, well, we can't have just one cat wearing shoes. Some of the <laughs> other cats have to also wear shoes. <laughs> That's really fucking funny. <laughs> I'm going to make make sure I never watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've never seen it? No, I never oh, watched oh, it. It's just, it just creeps me out. <laughs> the, trailer's Jason, creepy. the trailer's Jason Derulo's kind of like horny cat stance is something to behold. Yeah, they had to like <laughs> uh, CG remove his penis because yeah, like, his like mold his, was too transparent. Yeah. Yeah, Jason when he's they like pour milk into his mouth suggestively, if I remember correctly, or does yeah. or does he pour milk into somebody else's mouth suggestively? Probably it's been a while. Little, yeah, column you know. a little column A, little column B. What's up with Tom Hooper? What's his deal? <laughs> Tom Pooper. We don't oh, have Tom time Hooper. to get into that. Yeah, the director of Cat. Yeah, what's going on? what's going on with him? What's what's wrong with him? Also, King Speech. Dude, I hated that movie. That, that dude was I fucking hated that movie. I feel like you Why can't make work? cats unless you like you're literally injecting heroin the entire time you're making the thing. <laughs> but, I mean, he made Les Mis, which was also a very boring movie. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that, that's it. It's like cats is like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Darren's not going to say anything libelous, but it has a certain vibe of like 1980s West End energy going on, where like Lloyd Webber has talked about like the. Um, was it the seduction of Thomas Elliot's widow where he had to go to the house and he had to win her over to sign over the rights to Jellicle Cats and how like so much of it came from the fact that in the eight, sorry, this turned into the Cats podcast, uh, but it's like Cats cast, he, yeah. Cats cast, if you will. But like it's come out of like when it was in the 80s in the West End, you'd have like all the dancers in hot tubs on top of each other. And like Lloyd Webber was like, oh, yes, this is exactly the energy that I want for my adaptation of Thomas Elliot's Jellicle Cats. Exactly. Yeah. Dancer soup. Um, yeah, we got to get wrapping up here. Uh, but in Sorry, space, yeah. though, donated $2. says thoughts on the Sandman bonus episodes. No spoilers, because I haven't seen the rest of Sandman yet. Uh, love love this. Yeah, loved it very much. The um, the first one is amazing. It's I honestly didn't think that they could do what they did with that first one, which is The Dream of a Thousand Cats, which is one of my favorite comics from the initial run. And I was just, my mind was kind of blown by it. Uh, Kelly Kelliope, I think is the second one, is a story I didn't particularly like in prose. I think it works reasonably well in live action. But yeah, it's The Dream of a Thousand Cats is just amazing. Uh, even if you haven't watched Sandman, uh, watch that as a half hour short film. It's animated. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's it's very moving um, and very sweet and a good cat's thing. I was about to say, Tom Hooper had a dream of a thousand cats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Deep Scrub with the final donations donated two dollars says that was but that was two dollar pun if I've ever heard one Darren I think it, yeah, he, that's the problem with how we best but he just said that was two dollar pun if I've ever heard one that was so, a two dollar pun if I ever heard one well it doesn't include Darren. a it just says that was well you can assume pun. it's just a typo you don't no, have to I have to read it Deeps word for is giving us, paid for me to read that word Deeps for word is giving us two dollars and you're shaming them for leaving a letter out yep also, I don't know I'm which one that was. I'm paid to read what I read. 
I don't know which one that was now, so I'm going to be haunted by that. Uh, it was it was someone immediately. The next comment was boo with two thumbs down. So <laughs> apparently <laughs> it was very divisive. Like like all good art, it divides yeah. the audience. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was the anti incest, the anti incest okay. one. Okay. That was a really good one. That was a really good one. Um. All right, that's, that's it. it. We finished. We're done. Art is done for the week, and there's no more art until uh, next week. Uh, Darren, where can where can folks find you? What should folks check out that you've been working on recently? Cool, yeah. So you can follow me at, at Darren underscore Mooney on Twitter, where I'm talking about whatever it is that I'm talking about. Um, I obviously do the, the columns at the site, uh, the In the Frame columns, Mondays and Fridays. I'm also covering recaps for uh, House of the Dragon as it's coming out, or Hot D, if you will. Uh, also doing Lower Decks as well, and uh, the first four episodes of She-Hulk, at least. Uh, and also the In the Frame video series, which I think one of them dropped, or should have dropped recently, for Patreons. And then the next one, uh, it'll be out next Monday otherwise. Um, and that one is looking at Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. Uh, you know, Omar's yeah. done some amazing work on that so i'm really excited about it absolutely one of my favorite series we do cool um awesome nick i'll be back in an hour 20 with frost uh wrap up quick four uh i think i think i should wrap it up today i mean i don't know how close i am to that game i'm kind of sick of it too you know every game i've been playing like i've been sick of lately like third age we're we're done with that marty we're we're starting star wars this week did you make it so out not, of Minds of Moria? I did make it out of Moria, and then I got to rid of it. <laughs> so, so yeah. and you were like, "No Moria." Then was what you were the message yeah, you were getting? No Moria. <laughs> I mean, I literally went on vacation because I couldn't handle any Moria anymore. I was like, <laughs> I, I got, I literally have to leave my house for several days in order to avoid going to those fucking mines again. Yes. Uh, uh, anyways, yep. I'll be back with uh, Quick Four in about an hour twenty uh, tomorrow. Big day for the Escapists. Tune in at ten a.m. for our announcement of Patreon, and we also have quite a few teasers of upcoming content to share with you. So, make sure to check that out. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, of course, ZP tomorrow, Saints Row. Marty, I'm guessing you'll probably join Yahtzee for post-ZP, because you, I think you're the only other person that's played Saints Row here. And Darren's also played a lot of Saints Row. That's Darren's a very, Darren's a very big fan of Volition's games. Yeah, mm. I like to get all my saints in a row. Um, That's God damn it. <laughs> and then Thursday, uh, yes, we Marty and I will be back. No longer playing Lord of the Rings. We've wrapped up that series and we're starting up uh, the Star Wars retro series of Star Wars Dark Forces. And I have not played any of these games, so these are all be fresh for me. Heck yeah, those were exciting. Those were some of the first like quote unquote cinematic Star Wars things of of the '90s when we thought we would never get cinematic Star Wars things ever again. <laughs> um, and then it turns out we got episode nine eventually. And also, so like that we just it, well. it wasn't like planned out. We just timed everything perfectly because the Lord of the Rings launches this week, and then Andor yeah. launches in a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll be back uh, next week. We'll we'll be talking about the first episode of Rings of Power. Um, first two episodes. Uh, do two episodes premiere? Is yep. that right? Two episodes. Oh, premiere. I didn't. I didn't yeah. realize that. That's great. Yep, they've been um, screening them at fan events here as well. I am missing. Not for you though. <laughs> no, well, uh, well, I'm missing it because I'm going There's to see Michael Flatley's Blackbird. Yes, can we talk about Blackbird next week? Wait, how is there? It's not going to be like in theaters or streaming yet, is it? No, not in the states. No, this is a strictly Irish release. The Lord of the Dance, Michael Flatley, writing, producing, directing, and starring in his adaptation of Casablanca. 
I'm I, I'm so excited. What, a, what an actual nightmare film. I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing having that much money. Um, it's just like it's one of those like if you're ever wondering if there's such thing as too much money, it's like when you get to Blackbird money, that's that's the, that's when you have to. The much. proof is absolutely in the pudding. Uh, yeah. And then we'll have all of our normal streams the rest of the week. We'll have uh, breakout tomorrow night. We'll have uh, uh, Metal Gear on, on Thursday. So all sorts of good stuff and a big uh, we're going to have a big old game night on Saturday. Yep. Lunch party stream on Saturday. Make sure you, well, I guess you don't have to have a Jackbox party pack installed, but be ready to play that. Be ready to play Fall Guys. Ready to keep play Gang Beast. Play Is it going to be finger food? For me, yeah. Damn. I can, what about the rest of us? Can I, can I expense finger food? You can ex- you can nah, get, you there can, wasn't a no. I was, I was going to have I, a black orb or you can have finger food. You can oh, have like well, I wonder what the orb's all about. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I will. Gonna, I will ship you all these cans, and you can do what you please with them. Those aren't. That's my orb. That's not the orb. You have to have uh, one of these to talk. <laughs> it sounds like so that. cynical when you say you can do what you want with them. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deeb says, "Let Marty expense his finger food." Thank you, Deeb. I appreciate it. Um, so for uh, <laughs> Darren and Nick. Uh, this was Marty. This was the recap episode two. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm so excited to be continuing the show. Uh, we'll be back. Yeah. Next week, uh, same time with Rings of Power and then come back uh, in a little over an hour for Nick and Frost playing the rest of Quake 4. All right. See you all soon. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Bye guys.